Are you ready? Are you ready for September? 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 Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Welcome to the next installment of the School of September series, brought to you by the Western Huntsman Podcast, in conjunction and partnership with Phelps Game Calls and Spree Extreme Mountain Gear. Elk Hunting 201. is in session. All right, we're rolling. Hey, guys, welcome to the fifth installment of the School of September series brought to you by the Western Huntsman Podcast. My name is Jim Huntsman, your host. Glad you guys are tuned in and tuning in. Man, we are getting close. So it is, uh, gosh, it's like the first week in into August here, and uh, we are, there's a lot of hunts that are starting to open. Uh, a lot of special draw tags. There's uh, some cow, some depredation hunts. Uh, there's some antelope hunts that are about to open up. Um, we're, we're just getting right into it. We're rolling right into it. Um, so super excited about that. Uh, a couple of quick announcements, uh, before I get into this episode is, uh, th- this next week on a regular, it's not a school of September, uh, episode, but this, this coming week, uh, on Tuesday, I'm going to be having an episode come out where I sit down with Randy Newberg and we talk a lot about state transfer and public lands and, and conservation issues that I think is, is really important. And he's uh, he's a perfect guy to talk to about that. Man, he's just got an uh, endless amount of knowledge on this on those topics. But the point that I'm uh, making with this one is before, we, before I get into the interview, I'm going to have some uh, giveaway announcements. Some, uh, and, and they're going to be for youth hunters. And so one of... Uh, Essentially, what these are going to be is 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 these are going to be I don't I hate to call them competitions or they're they're it's kind of like a contest. Okay, there's going to be a couple of things that a youth hunter is going to need to do to uh, get into the giveaway, into the drawing, essentially. And it is a contest, so it's not just a random drawing. There's going to be there's going to be some parameters that need to be met so the youth hunter wins. And and some of the giveaways, just so you know, are going to be like scholarships to the Elk Collective and private lessons with uh, learning how to call elk with Michael Batiste at the Elk Calling Academy, which is what this episode in School of September is going to be all about. And we're going to be talking with, uh, with Michael. So uh, I just wanted to get you guys kind of keyed into that and gearing up. So I, you know, pay attention. If you guys have youth hunters that you're taking out for the first time this year, pay attention to next week's episode because it's a really cool opportunity. And I think it's going to go a long way towards getting some of these youth hunters uh, more dedicated and more involved with with uh, with our hunting way of life. So that's that. Um, <clears throat> okay. School of September. Okay, guys. W- w- one of the things that I've always I guess underestimated in terms of uh, it's one of those things that I just kind of assumed every hunter was super familiar with and super knowledgeable about, and that's thermals. 
mountain thermals. So thermals are a lot different than, um, you know, like a prevailing wind in the Midwest or something like that. And when I say they're a lot different, they're they're different in in by way of the nature of how they they work and change and shift and how temperamental they are. But they're they're also the same. They're the same concept. And so you guys remember back in like high school or college or whatever with economics class, and they had the the micro economics versus macro economics, and macro being like you know the international economy or or large scale economies like the American economy and a, and a micro economy economy <laughs> would be uh, more like you know a, a county or a city like the the city I live in um, would be a micro economy right and that works in conjunction with a macro economy uh, of the of the state or the or the entire nation or international business and stuff like that so so macro is big micro is small right? And so one way to look at thermals, I'm just going to walk through thermals real quick. And I, I promise if you listen to the next few minutes, you're going to be in like the top one to 5% at best uh, in terms of your knowledge about thermals in comparison to all the other hunters on the mountain that, that don't put that don't put enough thought and, and uh, maybe focus on, on what a thermal is. So let's talk macro for a minute. Macro uh, wind. That's going to be wind, a storm. Think about a think about a hurricane. It's hurricane season, right? So think about a hurricane. So in the ocean, the water temperature. This is why hurricane season is in the summer. The the water temps start warming up, right? And, and they get they get warm down to like a hundred to two hundred feet, right? The the water starts warming up, and then as that water warms up, it starts evaporating and going up. And hot air is heated by that, right? The, the, the air above the water is also warmed. And so what happens when something, when, when air or water heat up? They rise. Hot air rises. So as, as these water molecules and air molecules start getting warmer and, and shifting their uh, <clears throat> size, they, they start rising above the water. As they're doing that, it's not like that area above the water is just devoid of air. It... it pulls in cooler air. And so then what happens? Then that water, or I'm sorry, that air starts heating up as well. And it starts rising. And it's as it's rising, it's pulling in cooler air. And this creates this, um, I guess a great way to put it, is a perfect storm uh, for a hurricane. So as as that, that uh, air starts rising real rapidly, it starts more rapidly pulling in cooler air. And then that air rises and more rapidly pulls in more cooler air. And it starts forming clouds. The next thing you know, you got like a category freaking four hurricane going on. And it's bearing down on Texas or the eastern seaboard. That's that's how a hurricane happens. Okay, it's that. And, and that's basically how wind happens anywhere on Earth. It, it, is, a, it is a shift in temperature. That, that creates warm air rising and cooler air rushing in to replace that warmer air. That's essentially where wind comes from. Okay, so that's on a macro level. If you're, you know, my wife and I, we used to, we used to go camp on this lake in Utah that was kind of totally surrounded by this sandstone desert type rock. And you could set your watch to the afternoon wind 
that would come in and make the water real choppy. It'd be like white capping out there. The fishing would uh, would actually kind of improve at that point, but it sucked to be out on the water because it was it was pretty rough. It was choppy water, right? And so, uh, but what was going on is that that air around the lake was heating up against those rocks and starting to rise at a more rapid rate than the air above the lake. So it would create this um, this small like micro wind, like a prevailing wind on the water, and that's that's what happened. So so those are those are what I want you to think about when you think about macro winds and thermals. Now we're going to talk about micro mountain thermals. Okay, I have on the WesternHuntsman.com an article that gets really deep into uh, into thermals, mountain thermals. And it's it's actually been super popular. In fact, it's probably been the most popular article I've ever written. And I've thrown it out there on social media, and uh, it always gets a ton of views and, and people clicking on it. And, and But it's, it's a real thorough article about thermals. And it's got pictures, and it, it's, it's got arrows pointing what thermal is doing what. So I'd encourage you to jump on there and read it. Just go to the articles tab. And just scroll down until you find it. It's it's in there. Uh, it's called Mountain Thermal Wind or something like that. Anyway, so what we're going to talk about real quick. You're, you're on the mountain. The sun has not come up yet. So thermals are not going up. Just just on a very basic level, keep in mind, thermals, as, uh, as, as they, I don't know how to put that. Heat is what makes thermals go up. Cooler air is what makes thermals go down. I think most people understand that. What I what I think a lot of people don't understand is it takes ground temperature warming to create thermals. It's not just the air's getting warm and the sun's on it, so automatically it's uh, the thermals are going up. That's not how it works. Generally speaking, when you hit the mountain before sunup, and let's say you're you're going to start in the bottom, which is good because thermals are going to be coming down with the cooler air. The ground temperature is cooler. There's uh, the, the ground has not yet heated for the day. Okay, so as you're working your way up the mountain, you could you should be able to be, with the exception of outside factors like storm or winds uh, that that are that are in the area or present or whatever, uh, it should be very predictable. Those thermals are going down. So as you're wait, making your way up. You're not going to get winded by something elk bedded above you, okay? Now, the sun comes out, right? Hits the mountain. Does that mean the, auto, the, the thermals suddenly shift and start going up? No, it does not. So sun, I can't remember what time of morning the, the sun actually rises. So, you know, 7, 7.30, whatever, in September. Starts hitting the mountain, okay? Now, what has to take place is the sun needs to be exposed, meaning not blocked by a mountain or clouds, hitting the side of the mountain. And what that's going to do is start warming the ground. Now that ground heating up is what heats the air right above the ground, and it starts pulling it upward. Okay, and it's not just like a straight line either. You gotta you gotta think of wind like like you think of water. When you when you see um, have you ever taken like a bucket of water at a lake and poured it on the beach and watched it kind of run back down to the water the main body of water and how it kind of moves and shifts and and goes over it makes it, it takes the easiest route the the path of least resistance that's that's uh, ex- basically uh, that's exactly what wind's gonna do okay so the ground starts heating up and that air starts heating up with it. Now, at that point, that's when the thermals are going to shift and start going up. So that's the time of day where you want to be up on top. 
because it's it's going to shift. So anything below you is going to start uh, it's going to start winding you. So um, that air moves up. That happens generally speaking throughout the American West. There's not like a, a given scientific time when when those thermals shift. You just kind of have to use common sense. But somewhere between 9 a.m. and and 10 a.m., sometimes as late as 11. Those, uh, those thermals take to, to fully shift in, into an upward rotation, and it also depends on the temperature. You know, some Septembers are really hot and dry, and that ground heats up a lot quicker than Septembers that are very mild and chilly, maybe only getting a high of like 58 degrees. Also, obviously, beginning of September versus end of September, okay? So with that said, the other factors that are going to affect that, let's say you have dark clouds and it's blocking the sun. It's going to be later before those thermals shift. The wind has to heat up the ground in order for thermals to shift in an upward motion. Then you've got all day where consistently and and uh, very predictably, as the sun's out, the thermals are going to be going up. So you make your you make your strategic moves throughout the mountain based on those thermals going up. Elk, by the way, live by thermals. That's why they feed low at night because they could smell any threats coming down the mountain, and then they go bed higher because they can smell anything coming up. Okay, so that that's that elk, elk live by these thermals. It's a very, very important thing to understand. Okay, now we're getting into sun starting to set, right? And and the the temperatures are going down, and uh, obviously it's 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 we're coming on up to uh, to dusk. The air, I'm sorry, the ground is going to start cooling off. That means it's not going to be heating the air to continue to go up. So just by natural. Uh, you know, the, the natural progression of the how, how uh, the, these winds and air and, and flows all that tie together is that that air is going to start dropping down the mountain again, okay? Uh, sometimes thermals, uh, oh, let me just finish on that real quick. There's, uh, again, there's not like a certain time that that happens. A lot of things can, can make that, uh, that shift back from up thermals to down thermals. And in the process of them shifting, such as you know the the ground temperatures uh, heating up in the morning, or or cooling off in the late afternoon, that's where the swirling effect happens. That's where you get really unpredictable thermals. And one one thing that you got to be super cautious with is you've got to make sure you're checking the wind at those times because sometimes you don't even feel the air movement. But just know if the ground is hot that it's going up. It is going up, and you might not feel it. It's not like a breeze. But it's going up, and you're going to get winded. Same thing when it shifts, or or if it's in a swirling situation. You, sometimes the best thing to do is just to sit down, <laughs> just sit down for a minute, because it, it's going to take a while for that ground to cool off and create a, another consistent thermal for you. Because they're going to be swirling, they're going to be all over the place. Okay, other factors: rain. Let's say rain comes in. What usually brings rain to the mountain? Wind. Wind is going to trump thermals. So if you've got like an east, uh, east, eastern, eastern blowing wind, and it's you've got thermals going up, and then the sun gets covered by clouds, that the those thermals are not going to overtake the wind. The wind is going to pick up on those thermals, and everything going to the east is gonna is gonna smell you. Okay, so you gotta be, you gotta be cognizant of that. Let's say it's one o'clock in the afternoon, and all of a sudden a dark cloud rolls over and blocks the sun. And uh, it takes about five minutes, and then it goes uh, continues on, and the sun comes back out. That that happens all the time. 
If it's just a quick moving cloud and it just blocks the sun for a few minutes, really nothing's going to change. The ground's still hot. You're going to still have upward facing uh, thermals going in that direction. Now, what if the cloud lingers? You know, we're talking one of those black, dark, ugly clouds. Maybe it rains a little bit and it just it blocks the sun for like 30 minutes to an hour. That could potentially change the thermals again. And what, what usually happens in that case is it's going to create like a, a, a swirling effect. Instead of a, an actual shift where it starts going down, the ground is still hot, but it does create a swirling effect. Okay, so those, those clouds that are, it's windy way up in the sky, blowing those clouds over and it blocks the sun, but it's slow moving. You're usually going to get some swirling thermals out of that. Um, let's see. I think, I think that that essentially covers um, most of the, the thermal topic, and, and hopefully you guys have a better understanding. But just just remember, it's it's not – I've heard some people explain it in a way that like, okay, once the sun is hitting the mountain, those thermals are going up. No, that is not the case. It could take one to two hours for the ground temperature to rise enough to shift those thermals. Wind checkers will tell you all this, and I've, I've really tested this. You need to have wind checkers, a ton of wind checkers. Like I carry, I, I think I usually have like four or five of them in my pack. I don't know. That's probably excessive. But uh, if I don't, I have one or two in my pack and I have four or five in my truck in case I run out. Okay. Wind checkers are paramount to this process of elk hunting in the September elk woods. You've got to, you've got to constantly be checking, especially when the sun has just risen. The heat is starting to warm up the ground. You're starting to, you're starting to feel the difference. That's where you need your wind checkers like more than anything because you don't know if the wind's swirling. You don't know if the thermals are going down, the wind the thermals are going up. But that is uh, where, where your wind checkers are going to come into play. And it doesn't matter what kind of wind checker you have. Just, just get a wind checker. They're like four bucks, by the way. I buy four or five of them before uh, each season, and I generally go through. I think I've got – I think I bought five before last September, and I have one left from last year. So – that, that kind of gives you an idea of how often I, and I use wind checkers, whether I'm September archery hunting, or even if I'm rifle deer hunting in, in November, I'm still using the wind checker. It's, it's, it's just a really important thing. These animals live by their noses. That's uh that's, that's how they're going to bust you almost, almost 80 times, 80% of the time that you get busted, it's less visual and it's more that they smelled you. So just, just, uh, keep that in mind. And, uh, the thermals guys, I encourage you go to the westernhuntsman.com and read that article. It's a lot more in depth than what I just explained. And it's got the imagery to, to kind of help with that. And, and, uh, that's, that's, uh, that makes a big difference. I'm like a visual learner. I need to see what I'm talking about, but, um, there's uh, the last point that I'll make on thermals that, that maybe I didn't make the you know how when you're looking at a drainage or a canyon or a draw or something like that and one side is shaded and one side is sunny and sometimes the shaded side it's it's uh, it's afternoon before that has any sun in most cases you're going to have like a dueling uh, thermal scenario going on where the 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 heated side, the lighted side is going up. The other side is coming down. So if you're if you're hiking, if you're side hill on a mountain, and and you know the your direction of of tra- travel changes. Let's say you're you're kind of like west facing. You've got sun on you, and then the trail kind of wraps around to the other face of the mountain, and now now all of a sudden you're north facing, 
and and the temperature difference you're going to noticeably feel the temperature difference and you're going to notice those thermals have shifted and now i've had people kind of argue with that point that oh no the air is warm no it's not about the air being warm it's about the ground being warm that ground is not warmed up and i've tested this multiple times not in every case are the thermals going down on that shaded side but 90% of the time, they are. They're going down. So if you go around that bend and there's elk bedded below you, they're going to smell you. So that, that's just something to be aware of. Those draws can make a big difference, shaded versus sunny, uh, and that can shift in the afternoon, right? The, the sun gets covered, and now all of a sudden the other side is shaded, and, and the side that was shaded before has now got sun on it. And so, and, and when you get into the bottom of those draws uh, or those the, that drainage, that, that can create a, a major, major, major swirling effect with that wind. Okay, I've spent enough time on that. Today's guest, guys, for the School of September uh, fifth installment, this is going to be uh, the second to last School of September prior to September, and uh, I'm really excited about this one. Uh, Michael Batisse is one hell of a guy. He owns something called the Elk Calling Academy, and it's a great and wonderful resource that you guys should get involved in. It's got kind of two things. It's got the website with all the videos and instructional stuff, and then it's also, he's also got the availability to do private lessons. So you guys connect on Zoom, right? So it doesn't matter if you're in his area or not, because he's down in like the Boise area in Idaho. Um, if you're in Arizona and want want some uh, instructional one-on-one lessons on how to get started elk calling, uh, you book it. He does it over Zoom. You can see each other. You go through, and he walks you through how to get started off on the right foot, and it's it's really good stuff. I, I'm really excited. Michael has been a friend of mine for a couple of years now, and uh, I, I really like Michael in terms of the the way that he teaches because he's he's super patient. He's not vague. Uh, he really gets into the details, uh, and he's really passionate about about teaching you. And so that that's a huge aspect, just from the friendship side of it. You know, he's just a great dude, man. I mean, if he were a bowl of cereals, uh, he'd be he'd be heart healthy for sure. <laughs> and so this dapper fella is uh, is a guy that I, I'm just cr- proud as all get out to call him my friend. And let's give it up for Michael Batiste of the Elk Calling Academy. Here we go. everybody i'm on the line with michael batiste down there in boise michael is the owner of elk calling academy and uh this is going to be school of september installment number what is this michael i think this is five this is five how you doing brother yeah i think it is i think it's five i'm doing good how are you Hey, I'm hanging in there, man. I, I wish we were doing this in person. We were supposed to be doing an elk calling se- uh, seminar up here in North Idaho, and uh, this stupid pandemic kind of put a halt to that. I know. Tell me about it. I was so I had so much fun up there last year, and I was excited to come back up this year. And you know, yeah. when everything hit, it was like, oh man. And then things were on hold, and then it looked like it might kind of loosen up a little bit. And it's like, so you're telling me there's a chance? And it's like, okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yeah, and it was, and everybody, everybody, it was funny because like publicly, everybody was like, yeah, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. But I, then I was getting private messages saying that, oh man, it's, it, that would be irresponsible if you put on a seminar 
uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I just, I, everybody's got different feelings and reactions to this pandemic. And, and so we're just kind of going with the flow with it. Either way, this is going to be a really good conversation. Uh, you are a, one of the return guests on the Western Huntsman podcast. I think you were episode number two uh, of uh, yeah. when the podcast started. And it seems like forever I ago. I, it does. It does seem like forever ago that was on it. You've kind of uh, got a few more under your belt since then. Yeah, yeah. God, starting to figure this thing out, man. If I could just figure out how my computer works, this would probably turn out a lot better. <laughs> you know, I know. I'm still trying to figure that stuff out too. Uh, in fact, since I don't, since I don't really do the Wapiti Wednesday, you know, live Q and A's anymore, where I'm broadcasting to multiple streams. Whenever I do it. I, I actually have to set everything up about 35, 40 minutes early so that I can remember how to program everything in and, oh, yeah. and you know, direct okay. this over to there and make sure everything's all, all honky dory. So yeah, it, uh, modern technology, it's, it's, it's a benefit and a curse all at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but well, I, I was hoping, and we were kind of talking before I hit record there, um, I was hoping so in like like I was telling you the the rest of the school of September episodes are are kind of mm-hmm. going to be more geared towards advanced stuff. So in the first few episodes it was real basic real entry level uh kind of your your elk hunting uh 101 kind of stuff not not to not not Corey Jacobson's 101 just basic 101 kind of stuff, right? And now we're kind of moving into like this 201 and 301 phase where I want to talk about, you know, behavioral stuff and advanced elk calling and advanced strategies um, and, and kind of get And why I I thought that you would be really good for this. And and the reason is, and I'm going to want you to tell everybody about it, but, but you, you've got the elk calling Academy and one of the real unique things about the elk calling Academy is the it's it's very much more of a one-on-one hands-on kind of uh, resource for people to learn how to to elk hunt essentially. I, I was going to say call elk and and learn how to locate elk and all this stuff, but it's like the whole package. And and part of the these series, and I've I've talked about this in, in in past episodes, is is not so much to just you know take what we can out of what you say out of this podcast, but also offer the resource for more information. So people have, because we just got, man, we it, just enough time before elk season starts before September hits us uh, to, to really go through a lot of this stuff and a lot of this content. And so I, I thought the elk calling Academy, you uh, would be perfect for some of this more advanced stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully I can live up to the hype here, man. That's, that's uh pretty big shoes to fill there. So. I, I hope you can too. I hope you can too. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I'm starting to think that uh, man could 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 maybe we rechange the order and put me back like maybe freshman year fall term or something. So <laughs> I, I I think I failed out of that that term anyway. So I, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> you know, I had a great I had a great time in college. I was there majoring in eligibility so I could play baseball. So <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I don't remember a lot of college. So I'll just leave it at that. But. What if we did this? Let's act, okay, I was going to go in a different direction there, but let, let's do this. How about you describe Elk Calling Academy, the Elk Calling Academy, sure. where people can find it, and let, give us an overview of that, and then we're going to dive into some uh, some serious elk hunting stuff, man. Sure, absolutely. So, 
you know, I started out calling Academy, man, almost three years now. And it, it basically started with doing one-on-one lessons with individuals. Um, and, and the way it started was I was at a local archery shop here and they had told me that an individual had come in looking for lessons. And I said, yeah, give me his name, give me his number. And they were like, he's willing to pay. And I was like, I've, I've taught all kinds of people how to, how to call. He doesn't need to pay. And so, you know, I, I reached out to him and called him and, you know, he, he basically was very adamant. He goes, you know, your, your time is very important and, you know, your time is worth something. And I was like, all right, let me, let me think about it. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you a call back tomorrow. And I, I barely hung up the phone and, and, you know, my son ran up to me and said, dad, I want to take swimming lessons. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll find you a swim instructor. And then this light bulb went on and it was like, man, you know, we can pay for swimming lessons and dance lessons and guitar lessons and, and all kinds of lessons. And I remembered what it was like when I was learning how to use a diaphragm read. And I was like, man, if there was a source that, you know, I could just pay for a couple of lessons to stop the bleeding a little bit or shorten that learning curve, man, would have been all for it. And, you know, so it started. Yeah. Off that, and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say it. Uh, you know, started off that first year with just the lessons. And then I started doing, you know, these, these little Wapiti Wednesday Q and A's where I would have somebody send in a question and I would just do a short little video to answer just that one question. And then it, then it morphed into, God, almost an hour long session every Wednesday on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. And, um, you know, about a year ago, it evolved into a uh, Patreon page to where, uh, now it's $15 a month. And, you know, I recorded a lot of the videos that I teach in the one-on-one lessons. And, you know, people can go in there and there's, there's calling lessons, there's behavioral lessons, there's strategies, there's e-scouting, there's articles about bow tuning and arrow tuning and FOC. And, uh, you know, there's a community tab that people can, you know, chit chat with each other. And and so it's just kind of evolved and grown over the years to where now we're getting to the point where we're re-recording all of the instructional videos to build a website and do a full-blown e-course and offer a shop with a lot of our branded gear and, uh, you know, still do, still do the, the one-on-one lessons. Um, you know, obviously, uh, because of COVID, you know, use Zoom quite a bit more, but I was already using Zoom for people all, all over the U.S. and up into Canada. And so, so yeah, it just kind of went from that first one-on-one lesson and has just kind of evolved over the years a yeah. little bit. Yeah, it really did evolve. And I have the coolest picture of, you know, you know how it goes when you're not successful notching a tag, you end up taking really cool selfies. And I'm, I'm shameless. I'm shameless. I don't don't care. People can make fun of me. (laughs) I took the coolest selfie and I was wearing, I was up bear hunting, totally failed. Uh, I don't even think I was in the right, you know, (laughs) neighborhood or whatever. But anyway, (laughs) I've, I've got, I've got this great picture where I'm taking a selfie and I'm wearing the elk calling Academy hat. Nice. It's one of of my favorite hats. That one you guys did with the leather patch. It's, it's pretty badass. Yeah, yeah, that's something. That's something that we actually just did uh, this year. Uh, We were over in Salt Lake for the Hunt Expo when Leather Patch Company was over there, and I knew they were going to be there, so I grabbed my logo and threw it on the thumb drive and and took it over there, and and 
three of my hunting partners went with me and had them make leather hat, leather patch, you know, hats for the four of us. And there was quite a few out calling Academy patrons and members that were over there. And they all ran over to leather patch company's booth and, and ordered their own. So I was like, man, I, I might want to bring some of these in. Yeah, you, you should, you should, you should put those out there. I haven't seen you uh, throw them out there on, on the social stuff lately. I need, I, cause I got mine pretty dirty on that hunt, man. I'm going to need a new one. Cause I'm, cause I'm out of stock of them. <laughs> yeah. That stuff's hard to keep in stock for sure. It, uh, it is. I mean, those things went really, really quick. And, and that's, that's kind of, I've been kind of holding off on bringing a lot of that in just because, you know, right now it's having to go through a shop there on Facebook and, and it gets kind of quirky with, you know, I get a lot of messages from people going, Hey, you know, my card's getting denied and it shouldn't. And I'm like, that's, that's not me. That's, you know, Facebook. It's not like I'm sitting yeah. on the other side, logged into, logged into Facebook stuff saying denied, but you're like the guy off of Seinfeld is you you'll, you'll determine who gets a hat. No suit for you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it's like, you know, I'm, you know, oh, oh, your name's Brant. Yeah. Sorry. You're not, uh, you're not getting a hat today. Denied. So yeah, no um, way. No yeah, way. no. I've, so that's, I've seen your profile picture. I'm not letting you sport my hat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm surprised exactly. you sent me one. Well, you know, I'm hoping it'll bring you luck. So that way you can actually send a grip and grin while you're wearing it instead of all these selfies. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, bears, bears have kicked my bears and whitetails are my nemesis, man. Uh, I, I've got to figure these things out. It's, it's coming along for sure. Uh, you know, I, the point I wanted to make with the elk calling Academy, when, when we're talking about doing like these private lessons and stuff, and I, and I think about how, like the format of that and what, what, would have changed for me had that been available when I first started learning to call elk. Right. Is, is you're right there to make sure people don't get off on the wrong foot because so many times it's, it's like, you know, I used to teach drums and, and I would go in and, and this student, he'd, you know, 10 year old kid or whatever, uh, he'd be, somebody tried to show him a little bit and he tried to learn on his own. But the problem is, is he got comfortable holding the drumsticks way wrong. The sticks yep. were wrong. The form was wrong. Everything was wrong. And I had to retrain their brain to, <laughs> to properly hold the sticks and use their wrists and not their forearms and all this stuff. Right. And so it's the oh, same yeah. thing with using an elk read. And I yeah. know that like the way I was doing it made me sound like a, a, a pissed off whipped coyote. Uh, and <laughs> I was scaring more elk away than I was, than I was calling in. And so that's a huge advantage with the elk calling Academy with those one-on-one lessons uh, to, to make sure that as you're starting and you're getting, you're getting, you know, as a, as a beginner elk caller, you're off on the right foot. And I think that's important. That's, that's a huge deal. And that's, that's a huge nuance to your course that you offer. And uh, yeah, like I said, I just, I wish it was there when, when I started. Oh, absolutely. Oh, heck yes. I, I mean, I remember the learning curve and yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, you, you know, we, you know, we teach ourselves and, and we develop these habits and, you know, some people <clears throat> still, they're just, they're frustrated. I mean, learning to use a diaphragm read, it's, it's a pretty good learning curve. And, and sometimes it's amazing, you know, that I've had students that it's a slight adjustment of where that read is at in the roof of the mouth or a slight adjustment of how the tongue is making contact. And I mean, I'm just thinking of a few of the lessons here lately where we made these, you know, slight adjustments. And then 
I mean, immediately the air seepage is gone and the tones are clear and, and, you know, they have the depth to these, the, the sounds and, you know, that nice hollow mm-hmm. nasaliness at the bottom end. And, and it, it's so cool when doing it just to see their eyes light up. Cause you know, immediately they're like, are you serious? That's all it took. And, and then they <laughs> kind of get this flash of anger. Like, why didn't I figure that out? And then it goes yeah. back to immediately gratitude and, you know, then they do it a few more times or, or, or the one I love is, is when they make that change. And of course, anytime you make a little adjustment, there's, there's a little bit of, you know, re-getting comfortable. And, and so there's some things that I'll do with them to make them preset before they, they even make a sound. And, and so you can see them really focus in and they preset. And then all of a sudden they just make this really nice cow sound and they have this look on their face of, holy crap. How did I do that? How do I do it again? And how in the heck do I do it on a consistent basis? So, yeah, yeah, super huge, man. It would have been because I think a lot of people, you know, and, and don't, don't misinterpret what I'm saying, but as complicated as elk calling can be, I think one of the biggest issues that people run into is they overcomplicate it. And, yes. and it's like that in, it, there's, there's a lot of things you can relate that to, but I always look at fly fishing, right? Pe- right. Somebody, somebody who's never fly fished looks at fly fishing like it's this highly complicated, difficult uh, art form thing that you have to figure out. And, and, and it, it like, it's this big hurdle to, to, to go over. And so a lot of people don't end up trying it where the reality is, is fly fishing is the easiest and most efficient way to catch fish. If, if you know what you're doing and, and you just gotta, you, you just gotta simplify it. And I always right. laugh because I, I've got this, I've got this hundred dollar TFO fly rod that I've been using for years and I'll go up and stand in a river and start slaying trout. And, and the, the guy, uh, you know, just downstream from me, he's got $4,500 worth of gear on He's some rich snob doctor from, okay, I apologize. If you're a rich snob doctor, don't take offense to that. But they, they go out and buy all this really expensive gear and they, they overly complicate like fly colors and all this stuff that, that's totally irrelevant in a, in a fish's mind and, and they don't catch anything. It's the same thing with calling elk. Some people, they overcomplicate it. And by having like some direction from somebody like you is going to simplify it. And it's really what it's about simplifying it in your mind and you get it down. It's, it's just, it makes a crazy big difference. You know, I just had a huge epiphany that now I realize that was you that was just standing down the river of me catching all those fish, dang it. (laughs) Well, I was throwing them back probably. (laughs) (laughs) They'll they'll come back. I had, I was fishing. uh, I was, I was up on, on the river a couple of weeks ago and uh, there was, I caught this trout. He's like, he, you know, 14 inch, nice little cutthroat. And um, he had this weird scar on the left side of just under his fin. And so you could really, you, you really identify it. The scar was shaped like a T, like the letter T. And, right. and so I, I throw him back, put him back in the river. Like 10 minutes later, he goes back to the same spot he was, fish, he was feeding. And I, I nailed him again. And uh, this went on for like two hours, and I caught this same fish four times. Nice. Isn't that crazy? He, he, he wanted to go home with you. He had a very short memory. I always thought my memory was bad. Hmm. Kind of sounds like elk, too. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> well, we should oh, talk about it. Wait a minute. Yeah. 
Are we talking so, elk or fly fishing? Uh, you know, we might want to get into elk, but you know, that was a great segue right there. Cause you were talking about kind of some advanced stuff and, and, you know, that just kind of popped yeah. in my head right there about, uh, you, you know, we hear from people all the time and, and I, I've been in this industry close to 20 years now, I think. And, uh, you know, working sports shows and stuff. And I always love it when, you know, you demonstrate calls or this or that and you bugle and you always have that one guy that walks by the booth and is like, oh, do that in my area and help just run the other way. It's like, oh, dude, I'm going to track you down and we're going to have a conversation and it's going to be a lot of fun. So <laughs> just ask him for his unit, man, and go sh- prove him wrong. I know people, people say that up here a lot. And, and the, the big thing up here in, in the Northern, you know, the Idaho panhandle, North central Idaho is, oh, the wolves, they've, they've made the elk, uh, they they made it so the elk don't bugle. They don't respond to bugles. Mm. They don't bugle, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's interesting because last year I had 17 elk bugle in my face and, Mm -hmm. and, and, I don't argue that the fact that wolves are a problem. In fact, I, I am a big uh, proponent and supporter of like Foundation for Wildlife Management. I think all elk hunters in the state of Idaho should be members of Foundation for Wildlife Management because they're the ones that are doing the hard work of, of getting these wolf numbers down. I don't argue the right. fact that they're a problem. And I don't argue the fact that if there's wolves, if there's active packs of wolves in that area, the elk are going to be a lot quieter. Uh, and I don't uh-huh. argue the fact that sometimes when, when elk don't know if wolves are in the area, they're going to bugle a little quieter. They're, they're, they might not bugle their face off, but they're still going to make noise. And, and so that's, that's a common theme I hear. And I, do, you guys, do you guys get that a lot down there? Uh, you know, we do. And the one thing that I found is, is a lot of times is, you know, when a lot of people you know, say that kind of stuff, it's, it's easy to blame the wolves or the weather or the full moon or the hunting pressure or this or that. And, and, and I've noticed that a lot more you know, here in the past few years that, it, that it's a lot easier to blame all that other stuff than look at yourself and go, is there something that I'm doing that is leading to my inability to be successful or, or, or this or that? And and mm-hmm. I, I mean, you've, you've followed Elk Calling Academy. You, you've heard me on these live Q&As where I'll sit there and ask people, you know, okay, are, are you calling like a human or are you calling like an elk? Yeah. And, and, and I just love, you know, asking people that question because, well, I'm calling like an elk. Okay, explain to me what you're doing. And they'll be like, oh, you know, we'll just get out there and, and you know, we'll, we'll just do some calling. And I'm like, okay, what kind of calling? I will just do a bunch of cow sounds and, you know, we'll mix in some bugles and okay, how many sounds are you doing? Oh, well, you know, we'll maybe mix sounds for like five minutes straight. I'm like, okay, what's going on around you in the forest? Well, what do you mean? Are the birds singing? Are squirrels chirping? You know, is there any other thing making sounds? No, actually it's pretty dead quiet. Then why the heck are you going max volume for five minutes if there's not a single creature in the forest that's doing it? You're not matching your surroundings. You're not paying attention to what's going on in the forest around you. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think about that. I said, now the next question is, why is everything so quiet? Is there a predator in the area? You know, you know what's going on? Is, is barometric pressure rising and there's a storm coming in? I mean, I mean, what factor is causing everything to shut down? How, how do you know if, if it's a barometric thing versus like a predator thing? Is there a way you could tell that? Yeah. 
it's, you know, there's a lot of these watches out there now that actually have barometric pressure that will give you an indicator of whether the barometric pressure is rising or falling. And so if you see a trend where bar barometric pressure is rising, that's a pretty good indication that there's a front coming in and there's a, ch there's a change in the weather. I mean, animals feel that they, they clue in on that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, so. it's such an interesting topic too, because I think that as, as hunters and I've, I've got a, and I'm not going to let the, the cat out of the bag on this, but there's a project I'm working on that, that is, that is going to discuss uh, this very thing. The, one of the, one of the points or, or one of the, the reasons that hunters become so involved in, in, in hunting and, and being out in the woods is, is this ability or, or uh, let me rephrase that, the, why some people become successful at being hunters is their ability to, to go into the elk woods or, or, you know, it doesn't matter if you're hunting elk or deer, pronghorn, whatever, and actually connecting and identifying what their surroundings are doing and, and becoming, it sounds super cheesy, <laughs> but becoming one with nature, right? You, you have right. to, you really do have to be connected to, to nature. You have to understand what the birds are doing. You have to understand why they're quiet, why they're talking, why they're doing this. You have to understand what the mountain is. That every, everything will kind of tell you and paint a picture of what's going on. And so I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think we've really talked about that in past episodes. Uh, we touched on it a little bit with Chris Rowe, but I, I'm glad yeah. you, you brought that up because let's, let's talk about that for a minute. When, when you're out yeah, there I mean, and go ahead. Go ahead. Finish, finish your question. I was, I was okay, jumping so in. I'm like, basically, when, when you're out there and essentially I call it, the mountain is telling you what's going on, right? There's, there's ways right. that the mountain, and when I say the mountain, I'm talking about the, the trees, the thermals, the winds, the, the, the birds, the other critters that are out there, the animals, um, everything is kind of working as one. And I, I, I always refer to that as a mountain and it, it's going to paint a picture. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, so basically, you know, the barometric pressure, you know, we'll just kind of expand on that a little bit. So, you know, we, we kind of talked when the barometric pressure is rising, um, you know, that storm front's coming in and animals feel that. And so they, they basically know there's certain things that they have to do because they don't know how long they're going to shelter down. They don't know how long this storm's going to last. Um, and, and there's, there's a couple of other individuals, you know, that are, that are in the elk hunting world that, you know, I've had this conversation with and, if that barometric pressure starts getting around that 3940 mark, it just seems like elk shut down. But as soon as it gets down below 39 and starts dipping down there, you get some pretty decent bugling action. And I don't, I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but if, if you get into an area and you bugle and it's just dead, it, it, you have no echo, the bugle doesn't expand, it doesn't go anywhere, it's just dead air, it's heavy dead air. Mm -hmm. Have you ever noticed that you don't ever hear bulls bugling in that area? Absolutely. You, you don't get any response. It's that dead air. And, you know, we kind of joke about it sometimes. It's like, yeah, that's because, you know, these guys are self-centered egos that, you know, they want to hear their bugle, you know, bounce back off the cliffs and echo and go, that was me. And when it's dead, you know, they don't have that ability. Um, but no, in, in reality, when you have that dead air, the sounds don't travel as far. It, yeah. it really knocks it down. And so they have to cover more ground, whereas they can just go up over the ridge, go into the next drainage, 
airs lighter and they can stay in one place. They can sit down into a bed and do an advertising bugle and cover that canyon with that bugle. They don't have to put out a bunch of effort because they're already putting out a bunch of energy and effort for, you know, rounding cows and maintaining cows and breeding. And I mean, it, it takes its toll on them. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, if you get into an area and you bugle and it's just dead, keep moving. So go up over the top of the ridge, drop down into the next drainage, you know, find that lighter air. And, and it's weird because, you know, it could be a clear day and you just, you have one drainage that just has heavy air. There's something about that drainage. And I've got a couple of places, you know, in areas that have hunted over the years that they're consistently heavy air where everything else around is, is still bugling. Uh, or, or still, you know, lighter, lighter air and, and that call is expanding and it's, it's reaching out farther. Um, the other thing with that barometric pressure is it's going up. It, it creates this area where you have, you know, an area of high pressure and then an area of low pressure. Well, that's going to create a wind. And depending on the difference between the high pressure and the low pressure, that's going to depend on how hard the wind blows. Yeah. And I mean, we've all been there in the forest and hearing the wind through the trees. And I I mean, you just, you can't hear anything. And if you really pay attention to what's going on around you and really look around and really just stop and, you know, your ears are just inundated with the sound of the wind going through the trees and, and your eyes can't really focus because branches and bushes and weeds and grasses and this and that are just constantly waving and moving. So, and then you have this fight where, you know, the wind's real strong and then it dies down and it switches direction. So it's kind of swirling. Now, if you think of an elk with their defenses where their three defenses are their nose, their eyes, and their ears. Now imagine they're in a real windy place like that. You have the sound of the sound of the wind just gushing through the trees. Can't hear. You have all this grass that's moving. So your eyes can't focus on anything. There could be a predator stalking you in that grass. And then because the wind's swirling in your nose, you can't really lock in on a direction of where a scent's coming from. So elk will find pockets to get out of the wind and get out of that weather so that they don't lose their survival senses. Yeah. Because that's yeah. basically what they're doing every day is they're, they're, they're surviving every single day. And so if there's anything that is going to eliminate one of their senses, let alone all three, they're going to remove themselves and get into areas. And and that's one thing that, you know, I get asked a lot of times on Q and A's is, is where should I go if it's windy? Where should I go if it, if, if it, you know, a storm comes in, man, that varies from area to area. Um, this new area we started hunting, you know, a couple of years ago, we finally found that pocket last year. And good Lord, the, it, it's just this draw that probably has 14, 15 foot tall buck brush in it. Um, you know, mm. but the, but the trails through it and, you know, they can roll right from this, this top of the mountain meadow and just roll right over a saddle and roll right into this. And you can tell that they drop down into this. And then if it's a normal day, they'll filter out the sides into, you know, a couple of different bedding areas. But if it's windy, man, we got, we got, we stumbled across this on a windy day and that thing was just chock full. And, there, of and, 
it's like a big bar, buck brush area. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, buck brush yeah. just down through the, and, and tall and. Um, I love finding yeah, those yeah. kind of areas, man. Where you're, it's like there's trails everywhere. There's sign all over the place, and the smells and. It's just, uh, <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. It's just a fun, fun time when you find something. Oh. Like that. I get so oh, excited absolutely. about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and, and we did too. And the crazy thing is, is when we came out of that on the backside um, and hit this trail and rolled around, it, it rolled us out onto this, on, on, onto this big bench that I finally hit and hunted during the middle of the season last year. I was within 10 yards of that trail that took right into that area during the middle of the season. And this was towards the tail end that we found it. So, um, is that where you got your elk? No, actually, um, this was, I I don't know on the Patreon page, if you saw the, the one-on-one aggressive calling video that I posted where I worked at six by six by myself. When, when did you post that one? You know, Uh, I think October, Cause I got, I saw all the videos and then my, so I got, I got hacked. My debit card got hacked and then you repoed my ability to log in after, after um, that. Um, Apparently not, you, you expect me to pay the bill every month. Unfortunately I don't, that's Patreon. So that's, I'm going to pull it up here. Yeah, that's, that's another another reason of wanting to switch over to my own website and e-course. And again, you know, the Patreon page is great and gives me a good platform, but it just I lose a lot of control on stuff like that. Yeah, no, I, I've given you a hard time. It. Uh, oh, there it is. Select a membership level. You you can't give me a hard time because you know I'm sensitive on that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> dude, oh. I had that man that wrecked my life. Somebody somebody got a hold of my debit card and started buying iPhones in Kansas, and and my bank. Yeah, calls, do you want me to send you pictures of everything I bought? Yeah, do you want me to send you pictures <laughs> of everything I got for Christmas? I mean, we had a great Christmas. Thank you. Yeah. And so my bank calls and they're like they're like, hey are you buying iPhones in Kansas? And I'm like, no, I'm not in Kansas. And, and so anyway, we figured it out, but, uh, it it just wrecked my life for like a month because things like I had, I had these automatic payments, right? Like to elk calling Academy and, and all this other stuff I had going on and all this shit was just getting shut down on me. And I'm like, are you kidding me, man? And they couldn't even track down who did it. Uh-huh. Uh, and stole my card and all that. And I'm like, you just, just locate the individual. Don't send the police. Just give me an address. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. Uh, I made it easy for them and they, they never told me. But yeah, uh, gotcha. Yeah. That sucks that that kind of stuff happens. So, but no, didn't, yeah. didn't get my bull in this area, but you know, we're excited about this coming year because the, the trails that lead into this area and you know, kind of one of the things that we like to do is not necessarily chase elk, but anticipate where they're going to be and set ourselves up to get there about the same time as them, if not just a little bit before. Um, just because and, and just just for clarification, when you say that you're you're anticipating where they're going to be at certain times of the day or certain times of the year, right. certain times of the certain, rut. certain times. So, so basically what we've done is, is we've done research of our area that we know where their feeding areas are. We know where their bedding areas are. We know where their morning travel corridors are, and we know where their evening travel corridors are. 
And so what we will do is we will basically take routes so that we can intercept them on those travel corridors fairly close to their bedding area. Uh, because if you ever watch a group of elk when they're on the move, whether it's in the morning and they're going from feeding to bedding or in the evening from bedding to feeding, they have a destination in mind. And it's pretty tough to, you know, turn a bull around and have him come back. Um, you can catch him on the route and call him over if you're parallel with them. But mm-hmm. once they start getting closer to their bedding or feeding area, they kind of slow down a little bit and start milling a little bit more. So your window of opportunity is a little bit larger because you have a more captive audience. So especially if you're right there on the fringe of their bedding areas, um, you just you have this you have a much larger window to work that bull and and work the opportunity for a shot. And the thing that we've noticed and is especially in our area is that if you get up a little bit earlier, because you, you know, you know, you have a certain distance that you have to cover. Mm -hmm. So you plan, okay, we have to leave camp at this time to hit this spot, to start hiking, to be at this spot at this time. And, and so, so maybe you got to get up a little bit earlier and it's one of those things where, you know, watching your mountain thermals is really important because you definitely, you know, the direction they're coming from. So you know where to stage yourself and, and, and please, if you're going in, if you're going in to cut off elk to set up and work a bull, don't walk down the same trail that they are going to walk down. Every time you put your boot down, you leave a little human scent. And so if that elk is walking down the trail and all of a sudden hits boot prints and yeah, mm, yeah, that's, that's a little fresh. Maybe, maybe we're going to change direction. So, so sometimes, I mean, that's the creative thing is taking alternate routes and, and getting set up and kind of staging and, you know, kind of waiting for them. And it's, it's kind of cool because you, you kind of hear them come around a bend on, on, a finger ridge or they roll up over the top and the in the saddle and they always kind of announce themselves down in their area like you know daddy's home and it's really cool when you can kind of fire kind of a junior bugle back of the glue sniffer <laughs> is in your bedroom so <laughs> and he uh, gets pretty irritated about that doesn't he <laughs> he does he That's does awesome. uh, so, so let's kind of expand on that a little bit could you i think that's an interesting point so so basically, you know, kind of an example. So, you know, and they'll do different, different type bugles to kind of, you know, announce their presence. They may pop up over the top. You know, and then it's kind of fun to, to kind of sit down there and just kind of give this little nonchalant. It's, it's, it's not really aggressive, but it's... You know, kind of like this oh, yeah. little guy that, oh, oh um, I, I, I'm not in a place that I'm really supposed to be. So, <laughs> and then you immediately, you, you know, you kind of got his attention at that point. And then, you know, you can really add to it when, you know, he kind of, he kind of rips another bugle back. That's basically just kind of telling you, okay, you have until I get down in your area to be gone. Or you're not going to really like what's going to happen. 
And that's where a lot of times kind of picking up a stick and kind of doing a raking of, well, you know what, I'm kind of, I'm kind of using my preorbital gland right now to open up and kind of smear my scent all over this tree that I'm rubbing on. I don't really care that it's your bedroom here. Um, and, and then, I, I mean, then, then the game is on. And, you know, one of the things that we teach in, in the Elk Calling Academy is the breeding sequence, which is yeah. basically painting the picture that, you know, we're a bull that has a cow that's in estrus. So, yeah, that, that was another strategy. I kind of, I, I look at the breeding sequence that you talk about and the way you teach it um, as, as definitely an advanced elk calling technique. And oh, by the way, okay. So I just, I restored my account here on elk calling Academy and it finally let me in. Okay. Good deal. Anyway, side note, um, as we're talking about, cause that's in my notes, I want to ask you about the slow play. Can you sure. describe, cause we're kind of all over the place here. So I'm, I'm trying to get back get us back on track here. Okay, Let's talk okay. about when we're talking outside the box, because what a lot of people talk about, and a lot of people teach, uh, wh whether it's right or wrong in, in anybody's belief is, is there's, there's several different ways to call in elk, right? And sure, some people sure. really like to just go out and throw locator bugles out, find a bull, close, close the distance and, and get that bull pissed off and call him in. I love that way. That's, sure. that's a great yeah. way, but that way doesn't always work. So what we're going to talk about is when that, when that process or that strategy is not working, um, one of the ways that I learned from the Elk Calling Academy was this slow play. Right. And can you give us a brief overview of it? And then let's walk, let's walk through one. Sure. So, so basically, you know, we kind of call it, you know, you know, the, the, the breeding sequence. Um, but you know, it's more so kind of gathering information of the bull that we're, we're working. Uh, you know, we're paying attention to how he's responding, you know, to the sounds because, you, you know, our breeding sequence, we kind of start off with, you know, some cow vocalizations, um, you, you know, some, some lost excited muse, some, some assembly muse followed by demanding muse, some, some regathering, some normal muse and chirps, and, you know, have all these sounds kind of mixed, mixed in that are sounds that you're going to hear during September. And that's, that's what we focus on. We focus on sounds, you know, that you're going to hear during September. Um, you know, there's a lot of vocalizations that elk do all year round. But within this breeding sequence, we tend to focus more on the sounds that you're only going to hear September, which is, you know, primarily on, on some of the bull sounds. But, you know, we'll start with these, the, these cow vocalizations and, you know, then we'll break for a little bit, uh, then maybe pick up a stick and do some okay. light raking. Let me, let me stop you right there real quick. Yeah. You, you start with these cow sounds, but... Uh -huh. Do, are are you already at a point where you know a bull is in the area or is this more of like a cold calling thing or, or you know right right now we're just kind of cold calling you know we, we we got to a spot on the mountain that we wanted to get to um you know and that's that's kind of what we what we do when we leave camp in the morning and we said okay we're gonna we're gonna go over to abc canyon and, and we know where we want to get to what are and the so coordinates what we're gonna so I'll, I'll, I'll send you the, uh, I'll, I'll send you the Onyx pins. So make sure you put those in the show notes, put them in the show notes too, I'll put please. Them in the show notes. So there you go. There you go. So I'm just, I'm but just no, trying to we, help people. We, we have a, we have a destination in mind. 
And, you know, obviously, you know, we still, we still locate as, as we're covering ground, getting to that spot. Cause you never know where you're going to find elk or get into elk, especially, uh, you know, in those transitional phases during the morning when they're, they're moving. Um, but we'll locate, but then once we get to that area, if we haven't heard a bull, if we haven't located anything, then yeah, we break into silent calling routine, blind calling. I, I mean, there's a lot of different names for it, uh, but it's basically bottom line is I'm just telling a story is, is, is what I'm doing. Cause that's what you're doing when you're calling, you're telling a story, you're painting a picture of what's going on. And that story is that I have that, that I'm a bull that has a cow that's, that's, that's just right on the verge of coming into estrus you know, or, or she's right there just barely in it. And, and so, and that's, that's kind of, but it's one of those things that you kind of have to start slow and, and, and start small. The best way I can describe it is, is, you know, just like you're building a, building a campfire. Uh, you know, you just don't, you just don't throw a stack of full rounds into the fire pit and throw a match on it and it starts going, you know, you got to start with kindling and smaller pieces and slowly get larger to where you can get to those full rounds. And then man, the fire is going at that point. That's kind of the same approach you're taking with this. Okay. Is, so is, you're, you, you're getting to a point on the mountain where yeah. you guys have it in your mind. Okay. We we're going to go here. And then you get to that area. Are you kind of looking for like a setup? kind of area maybe maybe a little bit open with thick brush on the side so so an elk kind of has to pop his way through uh or or what are you looking for to to begin the slow play or, or what do you call you call it the breeding sequence i think who breeding, calls it breeding sequence and, I, and, I think paul paul Medell calls it the slow play okay i i apologize i'm i'm mixing it up here no um, don't I, you know paul paul is 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 a wealth of knowledge and, and a great elk hunter i have a lot of respect for Paul senior and junior, uh, good friends with them. And, and actually Paul and I think a lot quite similar on, on a lot of approaches. So, I mean, yeah. we're, all, we're all friends. I mean, heck I listened to Chris Rose. I, I, I have the utmost respect for that guy. I mean, just the knowledge that he has on elk behavior. Man, just, he is so much fun to have on the show. Like he, he's so excited when, when he talks and I would love the I, opportunity to sit down and just talk to him one day. Yeah. I've never yeah, had that yeah. opportunity. I, 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 I think it would be a blast, but so no, our setup is kind of different. Again, this is the advantage of knowing our area because we, we know those travel routes. We know those travel corridors. We know which direction, you know, they're coming from into these areas. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll set up now in my group, there's six of us and we typically hunt in groups of three, um, you know, early on in the season, you know, we'll usually run one caller to shooters and we'll set the shooters up kind of in, in, you know, two spots to kind of cover access routes coming into where we're doing this. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, we've, we've already got it, you know, set up and staged and plan and, uh, let's, you know, a couple say, of these guys. I've oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I keep cutting you off. That That's the problem no. with doing this. These podcasts over zoom is like, there's kind of this delay. So <laughs> I the apologize. Delay. My bad. No, you're good. You're good. No, I was just going to say that I've hunted with a couple of these guys long enough that, uh, you know, we don't even have to verbalize about anything. We just, we just kind of look and give each other, you know, looks or little hand, hand gestures and hand signs and yeah, hand gestures. Sometimes it is yeah. crude hand gestures. So, cause we have a little bit of fun <laughs> on the mountain side, flip, but flip the bird. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Among other things, among other things. So. <laughs> um, so let's say we've got, 
a uh, a group of a group of guys coming out, you know, from uh, Missouri or somewhere back east or whatever, and, and they're coming out to hunt and and they're wanting to set up in like an area where they can they can we're, we're going to get into this breeding sequence, right? Sure. And what what should they be looking for when they're when they're hiking through? And is there like something that you look for to to set up? Yep. Yep. Can, so, can you tell us about that? Yeah. Two words: elk sign. So we'll, okay, we'll, we'll expand it to we'll we'll expand it to three words: fresh elk sign. So if you get into an area and you see fresh tracks and fresh pea spots and you know fresh uh, fresh crap and you can smell elk, you know it's like man, they were here not that long ago. Those are good places to set up and start working these blind calling routines and and the you know the breeding sequence just because early on and especially early on in the year when the elk really aren't vocal, we work areas instead of elk because you know we're not getting a ton of responses you're not hearing a bunch of elk but we know they're there we can smell them they were just there or or maybe we had seen them and so you know that's a good spot to set up and start working that area and telling this story and painting this picture in their head elk will recognize what's going on as soon as you start getting into this sequence they'll recognize what you're doing they know it. They've, they've heard it. They recognize it. Okay. And that's. So, so these guys that I'm, that I'm, you know, our, our, our buddies, uh, proverbial buddies here that are, that are coming out from back East, they, they've got themselves a spot. They're, they're walking up, uh, up a drainage or a mountain and, and, you know, crossing trails with, with, uh, you know, fresher and fresher sign as they move along and they get to an area, there's fresh crap, there's fresh yep. droppings, there's tracks, uh, maybe a couple of rubs here and there. Uh, sure. Is is there anything setup wise like how thick of cover would you recommend versus more wide open edge of meadow versus in the in the dark timber uh, things like that. We we love dark timber. We we stay in the dark timber. Um, but the thing is is the thing you need to understand in a caller shooter scenario is you always want that shooter set up at pretty dang close to the hang-up spot. And what I mean is the hang-up spot is that bull is going to come to a certain spot and stop once he thinks he should be able to see that elk that is making the sounds that attracted him in. And so that's where, you know, the caller shooter scenario, when I set my shooter up, I will look at the direction I'm going to head to call and I'll pick the farthest tree that I can see or the farthest bush that I can see. And then I'm going to go a good 20, 30 yards past that tree or past that bush because elk can see through a little better than we can. And my job is to pull that bull past my shooter. So I want to make sure now by going even farther back that now that bull's hang-up spot, he has to walk by my shooter to get to that hang-up spot to where he's going to stop and really study the forest and, and study where that sound is coming from. And elk are amazing at pinpointing the very tree or very bush that you called from. They I've are. seen them come from several hundred yards away right to the bush. And it's like, that is just crazy. 
So how they crazy can do that. how they can do this. Like so, they've they've got like this built-in GPS. Okay, I just marked the spot where that that other elk is calling from. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So and, and, and to kind of expand on what you were saying, but yeah, you can use the top- topography of the land. Maybe you have this soft little finger ridge and roll, and you know you set your shooter up top. And you're down on the backside. So if that bull comes all the way up to the top to look down at you making call or making the sounds, well, he's right there in front of your shooter. Or you can use, uh, you know, buck brush or thick brush. Or, you know, if, if you've got a lot of new growth where it's just really, really thick with the trees. So you can kind of use those type of elements to almost funnel or direct the elk where you want them to go. Now, they're elk, which means no matter how much you plan and how well you put it together and go, oh, he's going to come right there. They will always find a path that you had no clue was there. And then all of a sudden it's like, how the heck did you get through there? Mm-hmm. How did you get to where you are? Um, and so I think setups are one of the most important things that you really need to put a lot of good thought into and really studying where you're setting up, uh, because that's going to be critical on whether your call-in is going to be successful or not. You can be the best caller in the world, and if you have a poor setup, it's not going to happen. You're not going to get a shot. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, so we found our setup spot. We've we fresh sign everywhere, good shooting lanes, whatever. We've got our we've got our shooters set out. What what do you say, like 50, 60 yards in front of the call? Again, Again, it it varies from area to area. You know, how thick is the vegetation? How thick is the timber? You know, how wide open is it? Is it flat? Do you have some rolls? Is there topography? Um, You know, all these factors factors. really come into play. So so you could really boil that down to just kind of use some common sense. If you're, especially if you guys are coming from out of state to the West to hunt elk and and maybe it's your first time, maybe it's your fifth time. It's it's just kind of common sense. You probably hunt whitetail uh, back east. You kind of know what they're going to do. Um, elk are different than whitetail, but I mean, we're we're still in the same realm of uh, behaviorally, kind of how they're going to approach things, you know. And so, so we've got that. We're we're all in our setup, and the caller is going to start kind of going into this breeding sequence. Um, Right. With the breeding sequence, can you describe the picture you're trying to paint? And then let's go into vocalizations on that. So if, if you've ever, I, I mean, I, I know nobody does this, but if, if, if you've ever gone to, there's this website called YouTube. Um, they have videos and all kinds of cool things on there. But, uh, you know, if you've ever gone to there and just typed in. I'll put that in the show notes. Perfect. Perfect. So uh, it, it's youtube.com is, is what it is. <laughs> no, if, if you've ever gone there and just, you know, pulled up elk videos and, and, you know, there's a lot of videos out there that are from Rocky Mountain National Park or even just on public land. But if you ever watch videos of, you know, bulls during September, or elk during September, and you see this video of this bull, that's just kind of really following this cow and licking the air and, and she just keeps moving off and giving him the cold shoulder. And, you know, he just continues to follow her and he's making these frustrated sounds and, you know, she'll let a few wines go and all the other herd around is all this excitement. And, but you just watch how that bull just dogs her and follows her. And she kind of does this little, little deal where she kind of walks this big circle or figure eight and he's just dogging her. 
that's basically the picture that you're painting. You're painting that you are a bull that has a cow that is, you know, right there in estrus. And you're just waiting for her to be ready to breed. And so you're just kind of dogging her and following her. And she's not really giving you the time of the day. And, uh, you know, she's kind of pleading and, and kind of getting annoyed with you and kind of throwing some, some of those sounds out. And Well, you're kind of frustrated because she's just not giving you her phone number. And I mean, you're a great guy and she's you're everything that she's wanted. And you've got the latest fashion jeans trend going exactly. on. You're at the I bar. Mean, you got, you get, you're 21. Yeah. And you broke out the bedazzler to really make those new jeans <laughs> sparkle. <so. laughs> I want to see a picture. Do you have a picture on Elk Calling Academy website of you in bedazzled jeans? Because I think uh, that, that, no, that would look good, no. man. That would look super you, good. You know, but you just gave me an idea for uh, uh, – some shenanigans to go do on the mountainside this year. So I think I might have to, uh, I'd have to go to Goodwill and buy some jeans and a bedazzler and get to work. Before season. I want you to, I want you to take a bedazzler <laughs> and bedazzle those jeans. And I want it to say fresh right across your ass and, and go hunting like perfect. That, do it to the hard scrabble. Perfect. Uh, do it to your hard scrabble you pants on uh, your scree gear, man. Uh, let me let me make a deal with Mike and Mike that they'll replace that hard scrabble after I bedazzle them. <laughs> okay. Because well, I I kind of I kind of love my hard scrabble pants. Um, don't know if I really want to, but I don't know if you guys know this yet, but hunting season is knocking on our door. In fact, some states it's already even open. I'm I'm seeing pictures on social media. It's coming, guys. Have you gotten your scree gear? Scree is extreme mountain gear that is designed for rugged western hunting like we talk about on this show all the time. Complete layering system for all terrain and all conditions. Gear designed to adapt to the weather. Rugged gear backed by a lifetime warranty. The VIP sizing and exchange program is amazing. If you get the wrong size in the mail or something's not right, you send it back for free. They, they send you the mailing slip for it and take care of everything. Guys, this is great gear. I've been running Scree for a long time now and I really, really like it. It's a great company story. Uh, the owner is real big on having high performance technical hunting apparel at a responsible price and that's what you're going to get with Scree. You know how it goes. You can go drop a small fortune on, on some of this gear out there, right? And we all love to have it. I love having this gear. But with Scree, you're going to get the high performance gear. You're going to get everything that you would expect on a high performance uh, kind of company like this uh, with, with the gear you're going to get, but you're not going to break the bank. You don't need to sell your kids. You don't need to take out a second mortgage. Just get you some Scree gear. And at checkout, go ahead and use the promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. That's a smoking deal. And Huntsman is spelled H-U-N-T-S-M-A-N. A is in Apple. The Western Huntsman at checkout with Scree Gear. You should check out the elk bundle they have. It's pretty spectacular. Hope you guys check it out. I appreciate you supporting our sponsors. And our other sponsor is Phelps Game Calls. Guys, the, the premier call company. Everybody knows Phelps. We all love Phelps. If you're not using Phelps Game Calls, you're not doing it right. <laughs> okay. No, I'm serious, guys. Phelps is, is a company that was born out of 
this uh, great American success story that started something small and it turned into this big company that everybody knows now. I use Phelps for, for my elk calls. I use Phelps for, for predator calls. They've got some new deer calls coming out. It's going to be great. So I use the AMP series for the elk. You guys know September's on its way. Or, or it could possibly be here by the time you're listening to this. Who knows? But September's on its way. My favorite time of year. Better than Christmas. Better than anything. September, man. Get your amp calls. I really like the Maverick and the Black Amp. Those two are screaming reads. And uh, that there's a, a bunch of other reads for different types of, of pallets, if you will. Or uh, the way that you use a call, it might change. So you got to try a little bit of everything. And uh, the, the pink call is fantastic. Uh, but uh, personally, I like that Black Amp that Maverick read, uh, those two are kind of my go-tos when it comes to calling in elk, and boy, do they work. Uh, again, check out. Guys, Phelps has given us a, um, a promo code to use. It is Huntsman10, H-U-N-T-S-M-A-N, 10, number 10. So you'll get 10% off at checkout. Go to phelps.com and check it out. It's going to be in the show notes. And lastly, just, just as a bonus promo code, for you guys that are in the market for a new set of boots, I love the Explorers from Hoffman Boots. They are badass boots. They will get you up the mountain. They will get you down the mountain for several seasons. Check them out. The promo code for Hoffman Boots is HUNTSMAN15. HUNTSMAN is all caps lock. H-U-N-T-S-M-E-N 15. Go ahead and check that out. It'll be in the show notes and uh, get you some new boots and, and let me know what you think. Thanks, guys. Here we go. Let's get back into it. But no, so so if you've ever watched that video of that bull chasing cows, that's the picture that you're wanting to paint. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people, if they would, if if they would really truly pay attention to what's going on in those videos as as far as the behavioral and the body language and and all that they would understand situations out in the elk woods a lot better Mm -hmm. so uh, but that's basically kind of what we're uh, what we're painting now when i am doing the calling i i am moving around i'm I'm not just standing in, in one spot i i have a lot of fun when i'm back there as the caller so, 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 okay. We, we, so we've got, we've got that established. Uh, you're, you're kind of, you found your spot and now, now you're, now you've got the idea of the picture you're trying to paint. There's, there's, there's a cow. Right. She's, she's either, she's either a hot cow or she's getting close and that, that bull knows it, but she's, she's not quite ready, but he's, he thinks she is and he wants her to be ready. And, and he's just kind of following her, sniffing, licking, you know, uh, and, and making a few bugle. I don't even know what you call those. Those, these, those vocalizations of out of frustration, uh, is, is a really good way. So to here, it. let me, so let, let's, can you, that's let, what I was going to say. Me, if you let can me demonstrate, let me, let me demonstrate. So this yeah. is, this is, this is one of the things that we teach, you know, in, at the Academy within the bull vocalizations, it's called huffs, grunts and whines. And, and, and I'm going to kind of show it two ways. So first is, is when you're, when that bull is first following this cow and he's, he's kind of excited, you know, he's like a teenager in the backseat on prom night and, you know, he's. You know, he's, he's excited. Now what's kind of cool is you can take that same huffs, grunts and whines 
and we can change the aggression factor on it just by changing a little bit of emotion and give it a different meaning. Because now later on in this sequence, he's been following this cow. She's not getting in the play and now he's, now he's frustrated. He's getting angry. Okay. So see, see, both those are hubs, grunts, and whines. The the first style is 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 you're kind of easy and light and excited and oh man, this is great. And then as things kind of progress, and now frustration and and, and anger is kind of setting in a little bit. And and that's that's what I was talking about how you kind of start small on the fire and then just kind of, kind of, you know, build it big. I don't want to give away too much of the breeding sequence because that's one of those golden nuggets that we give the, the elk. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, I was just kind of thinking that I don't want to give it all away if, uh, because you do like an actual video uh, on uh, within the elk Academy. And I I can't remember which video it is, but you actually show the whole process in the woods of, of how you move, what it sounds like, all this stuff. But the idea, and, and, and again, with, with that, I encourage people, if, if, you, if, if you're interested in learning this, jump on the Elk Calling Academy. It's a Patreon account. It's stupid cheap. And get in there and watch this video. And, and then that way, uh, because you could really put it together. I had, I had two instances last September where that was fairly effective for me. And it was my... Uh, you know, expected stupidity, I guess is what I, I like to call it, um, that, that ruined it. <laughs> the elk well, and, and, and caught here's, on to me. <laughs> here's, 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 a, here's a couple of things that, that I will talk about a couple of mistakes that people make when, when they do the breeding sequence. Um, you know, because I've heard back from a lot of students that either one, they had tremendous success with it and they were blown away and had a blast or two, they were like, man, we got in this situation. It was working well. And I did this and this happened. So the the first thing is, is especially if you're doing this as a blind calling type scenario, a lot of people, as soon as they hear a bull respond in a distance, they just drop telling their story. And now all of a sudden focus on the bull and, and, and really start trying to work him. Well, think about it. If you're a bull out there that you hear this breeding sequence going on and you're coming in and you kind of yell, hey, and, and they yell back. And then all of a sudden now this bull forget about this hot cow that he had that he was focusing so much attention on. And now he's focused on you. Did I go to the wrong bar? Yeah. Did I go to the wrong bar in town? And now this bull kind of changed his mind on what he really likes and wants or, you know what? But, but yeah, you're exactly right. Because, you know, that bull knows. And, and again, it goes back to watching these videos that watching whether it's just a bull by himself with a cow and he's intending mode on that cow, or if there's a bunch of other bulls around and he's in a defensive type mood. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's one of the things that, you know, you'll see this bull that is just alone with the cow and a bull, you know, bugles 500 yards away and he responds with, yeah, whatever but he's still focused on that cow because that bull at 500 yards is not really a threat, you know, because if that cow, because if that cow does come into estrus at that moment, he's going to have a chance to breed that cow right there. That bull at 500 yards away is not going to be able to breed. So, so he's going to focus on that cow 
but once that bull gets closer and more excited, now he breaks this, this bubble. He breaks this safety bubble. Now all of a sudden the bull's like, okay, you are in my space now, which, you know, could be 125 yards, 100 yards, roughly in there. Now that bull is all of a sudden going to turn into a defensive bull because now he's defending his hot cow. He doesn't want this stranger getting to her, so he's going to turn into defensive. So I think one mistake a lot of people make is they drop the scenario and turn focus to that bull too soon. Okay. I mean, he's basically no, that makes so. How much time? How much time do you give it if you're in a cold calling sequence? Uh, doing this this uh, this breeding sequence, um, how much time do you give it before it's like okay, it's time to move on? Before moving on, an hour. An hour. Okay. So uh, I'll give you I'll give you the mistake I made. I I I had bugled and I, I'd sent off one of those you know just a like a locator bugle, and all I get back is is that you know that ape like little chuckle they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was almost like you know kind of thing. And real quiet. Excited chuckles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but not not like loud. It, he, it was like he was trying to be quiet. So he's, he's about right. 250, 300 yards away. Yep. And that's all he would do. And so I, I yeah. waited a while, and then I started doing this sequence, right? The, the breeding yeah. sequence. And I did it just like your video. And I, I remember thinking, man, Michael Batiste, if he could see this, man, he could have filmed this, put it right on the academy. I'm doing, I'm doing this, and I start, I rake a tree a little bit, and and, and I'm starting to do all these, the the, the breeding sequences, uh, vocalizations throughout, and well, the bull totally shut up, and and I I had given it about twenty or thirty minutes, and and I started doing it again, right, and all of a sudden, probably forty yards. I see the tops of these antlers come through the brush and he starts walking right towards me. And I, I, it like shocked me that it worked so well. And I looked at the bull and I said, Oh shit. And well, you didn't tell me that bulls don't like when you cuss at them because he turned around and boogied, man. He he saw me. And, and you know, what's funny. I didn't even have my bow was on the ground. I'd set my bow on my pack while I was doing the breeding sequence, because I, I was alone, I didn't have a shooter. And, and so, uh, and this thing snuck right up on me without making a peep and, and almost startled me. And uh, when, when, I, when I cussed at him, he, he got offended and left. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I can, uh, I, I can see that. You know, I've been guilty of that before where, uh, in fact, Pitchfork that I shot a couple of years ago that's how that was. We set up. I was actually calling for Bryce and I just, I, I, God, I heard this Mack truck coming through the brush and I was like, <laughs> man, I'm, I might get a shot. And so I, I picked my bow up and barely knocked an arrow by the time this bull breaks out of the brush. And here he is standing 18 yards, just staring at me. I'm on my knees. I've, I've, I have a bow in my hand and I have an arrow knocked, but that's about it. And so I'm like, he's 12 yards from Bryce. Bryce is going to shoot any minute. Okay. Bryce, Bryce, why is Bryce not? Sh- so I clipped onto my D loop and, and slowly drew back and anchored and I buried that pin on his chest. And, and I'm like, okay, Bryce is going to shoot any minute. God, I know he's going to shoot. And then that bull turned his head and I saw a funky horn. I'm like, funky horn. Whap! So, cause I don't pass on funky horn bulls at all. Oh, really? And, 
No, no. Funky Horn Bulls. Oh, yeah. I, I, I got a thing for Funky Horn Bulls. I just think they're just so unique and, and just seeing some of the formations that they get. But but well, it's kind of funny. What did you call him? You called him Pitchfork? Pitchfork because he has his tops. And I'll send you a picture of it. Yeah. His, his tops on his right side. If you think of a three pronged pitchfork for pitching hay in the barn, that's exactly what his tops look like on his right side. Interesting. Yeah. Really cool. But so, yeah, I uh, cow called and Bryce comes up to me and I said, what, what were you doing? He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, that bull should have been 10, 12 yards from you. He goes, yeah. I go, what happened? He goes, do you remember what you told me? I said, yeah. He goes, you said, go to the pine tree. I said, okay. And he points that direction. How many effing pine trees are over that direction? <laughs> so and what, had, what had happened, what had happened is we'd actually gotten to an area where we had three bulls going and the lower bull had shut up. Well, when Bryce was heading towards that pine tree, that lower bull piped off. And so Bryce was thinking it was the bull looping down underneath to get our wind. So he hung a left to go to a different pine tree thinking that the bull was going to loop in underneath us. And so that makes sense. Like, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Little did we know that that pack out was going to end up taking two days. So, but what hey. with oh, three yeah. guys? Uh, no. Cause it was only Bryce and I on that day. Oh, gotcha. So, yeah. That's so rough, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, so, and that, uh, you, you got old pitchfork there. What'd you do? You, you got him with a frontal shot? Yes. Yeah. 18 yards. Can you talk about your personal philosophy? That's a, that's like always a hot topic, right? I always like to get everybody's take on, on hot topics. Sure. That's a hot topic. Let's talk about the frontal shot for a minute. So, so first off, I will not take a shot past 40 yards on a bull. First shot won't do it. Um, there's mm -hmm. just far too much that can happen with loss of kinetic energy and penetration. You know, they're big, tough animals. Um, the frontal shot is one of those things that I have to check mark a few things. It has to be 20 yards or less, completely level or slightly downhill, absolutely no brush between me and him, and he has to be calm. If all those things don't check off, I will not take the frontal shot. I've taken it uh, a few times over the years. Um, great success. Uh, some of the best blood trails I've ever had. And the animal doesn't go far at all because you figure that frontal shot with the penetration. I, I mean, you're taking out heart, lungs, liver. I mean, you're taking out every major vital organ. Um, Colon. You know, oh, yeah. Um, esophagus. I, I mean, it's it's it, it does major. I think, major, I, I, think major it's a, I, I definitely think it's a viable option if if you're proficient with your weapon and you're within That's range, like like you said, uh, 20 yards or less, proficient with your weapon, and you know exactly where to put that pin. Um, take that frontal shot. Now, caveat, caveat though, is would I recommend it to a brand new elk hunter? No, I wouldn't because your emotions and adrenaline are just going to be pumping so stinking hard that you're going to be trembling and shaking and trying to hold that pin. I, I mean, you have basically a, a, a basketball size or volleyball size, depending on, you know, well, basketball is a good size, uh, you know, basketball size area right there to, to get through. But, you know, as a new, new hunter with the adrenaline and the emotions and, and, uh, you know, wanting to peek and see, Oh man, did it, did it hit where I wanted? And, um, I definitely think it's one of those things that 
if you've taken a few animals and you've experienced that arrow going through the animal, you've experienced the tracking, you've experienced all that, you've you, you've kind of studied the vitals a little bit when you were breaking down the elk and going, oh, okay, hey, that's where that shoulder blade is. And oh, that's where this is. And oh, that's how the rib cage comes together. And, you know, you understand those things, then by all means, yeah. Take it. Do I think it should be taken out past 20 yards? No, I don't. Um, Who was I, I mean, it? There, there was, oh, no, that wasn't a frontal shot, though. There was somebody... Somebody took like a, a freaking hundred yard shot with their bow. And and I'm with you. I do not do, if it's beyond 40, and I know uh, that, that there's guys that are a lot more comfortable with, with taking longer shots or whatever. But I, I know, I know a couple things. I know I practice a lot and I'm, I'm, I'm very proficient with the bow that I use because right. I've been using the same bow for a long time. Sure. Uh, and, and, but I'm, I also know, I'm, I'm with you. There's something that happens when you, when you get past that 40 yard mark branches that you don't see, uh, yeah. overhang that you don't see the kinetic energy. Like you were saying, the drop, yeah. if it's uphill versus downhill. And, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not comfortable taking those shots cause I don't want to hit a bull in the hind leg and feel like shit for 12 months, uh, right. that I wounded this thing and, and I can't find him, you know, and, and, um, that, I know, I know <laughs> from experience how rough that can be. So, uh, yeah. uh, you know, but it happens, it happens. And so anyways, there is, but yeah, there was somebody, it was like Joe Rogan or somebody famous wow. like whacked a bull yeah, at like a hundred yards. It was ridiculous. More power to him. And I, you know, I've had these, let, let, let me just disclaimer that. I don't know if it was Joe, Joe Rogan or, or, or who. Okay. So anyway, sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. You know, no, and I've had this discussion with a lot of people and, I, I mean, I practice consistently at 50 to 60 yards all the time. I mean, that's, that's just my practice sessions. I don't really practice much shorter, you know, than that. Um, but I mean, of all the elk that I've harvested, you know, throughout my 32 year career, or however long it is now, I don't know, since 1988, my average shot is 22 yards. And Jeez, the discussion man. that I have, the, the discussion that I have with a lot of people is, you know, they're always quick to go, well, do you know how much skill it takes to execute a shot like that? I do. I absolutely do. But do you understand how much skill it takes to get an elk to six yards or 10 yards or, you know, remove as many variables as you can to increase your opportunity for success? Yeah. Now, mind you, if, if, if I have an arrow in a bull and he's still on his feet, and I need to do a follow-up arrow, and he's at 76 yards, I'm dialing it in and going. And I, I mean, I shoot a single pin sight just because, like I said, 22 yards average shot. So I shoot a single pin sight that I set at 30 yards, but I practice with that at 30. I practice shooting from 20 and shooting from 40. So I know exactly what my arrow is going to do. So I can do that Kentucky windage in the fall or, or you know, during the shot. But no, it's, it's, I should do that, man. I should take my, I've, cause I've got, I've got four pins on mine and I only use the, the, the top two. Yeah. And just take them out. A single pin just works for me. It's, it's vertical because that vertical pin, I can put that right up the back of the leg and it gives me a good indication of whether I'm, you know, I've got the bow cantered or torqued or, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those quick feedbacks on that. But but no, getting back, I, I mean, I understand what it takes and the skill it takes to execute those long shots, but it's one thing executing those shots on a consistent 
basis on a piece of paper than it is on an actual animal when you have your emotions, your adrenaline, branches, wind, you have all these other factors that are now all of a sudden into it. Plus you have an animal that right when your shot is breaking takes a step. Okay. So let's, let's shift gears here for a minute. Um, you, you do mainly like a base camp and, and day hunt, right? Yes. We'll do, and, we'll do some, we'll, we'll do some overnight or short, short trips sometimes. Yeah. That, and that's basically that's a lot like, like what I do. I, but I, uh, I, I, I like my trailer, man. And so, <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, let me, let me rephrase that. When you spend five years in the Marine Corps infantry, a trailer is really nice. Right. But right. I'm, I'm right. not, a, I'm not afraid to go do some backpacking. And, and, uh, I, I think, I think it sounds like I'm going to be doing one this year, but mostly right. I'm, I'm base camping like, like you guys, uh, like, like you guys is a camp. Uh, that, that you guys, you have like a group of buddies that, that go every year and, and, uh, you guys are always, always successful one way or the other. And, uh, uh, it's always fun watching, watching it all come together for you guys. But, um, <laughs> so, so like w- when you're, your, your base camp, can you walk us through your day and, and maybe we could talk a little bit about what's in your day pack, uh, things sure. like that. Is that, is that cool? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't, I don't mean, cool. I don't mean we don't have to get into details like what kind of depends you wear to prevent chafing at your age, but I it's, would it's, like it's it's actually pull-ups because I'm a big kid now. Pull, so. pull-ups. Yeah, yeah. So. They're probably a lot easier. They fit. They are. They, they are nicely so. under those hard scrabble pants. They do. They do. They kind of kind of give me a little tushy that uh, you know makes it look like I actually have a butt. So, oh man, about them, I don't. Um, I'm getting hot and bothered, um, man. I'm getting hot and bothered. Let's just st- stick to the topic here. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> so no, within, within our hunting area, we, we have it kind of broken up into full day hunts, morning hunts, and evening hunts. Um, you know, but primarily for the majority of the time, we focus on those full day hunt areas where we leave camp in the dark and we come back in the dark. Um, and it, it's not quite as it, it, as it used to be. I mean, early on in my career, yeah, I was, I was seven, eight miles in the backcountry, and, you know, uh, then 18 to 20 mile day hiking was a normal day for me. Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's kind of changed on these all day hunts. Uh, we've kind of learned access points to where, you know, we can leave that base camp and take a vehicle or a side by side, you know, on, some roads to get to a certain place. And then, uh, you know, we may have to, you know, hike an extra half mile or a mile, but, you know, we're not gaining, you know, a lot of elevation so much anymore. I mean, some areas we do have some serious elevation climate all varies, but, but no. So, so, you know, we usually kind of get started when it's still just a little bit dark. Um, we don't break out headlamps or anything like that. Uh, we just, it's barely light. You can't see your pins yet, but you can just barely see enough that you know, okay, I've got a log here. I need to step over and this and that. And we move fairly slow because at that time in the morning, we're really listening more than anything. Uh, cause that cool morning air sounds really carried quite a ways and you can hear bugles from a good distance. Um, and that's one of those things that, you know, like I said, we, we have a destination in mind of, okay, 
we're gonna go we're gonna go up to the 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 triple meadow uh, with the wallow that's just above the the middle meadow uh, where all the rubs are, and you know we're gonna get up there and we're gonna work that area this morning until um, mm-hmm. you know we know they're heading to bed. And so as we're working our way up there, we're listening. Um, and, and we're not just listening for distant bugles, but we're also listening for twig snap close by us, or maybe the tick of a tick of an antler. We're not sitting there having conversations as we're walking. In fact, a lot of times in those early mornings, if you really, if, if you were sitting there watching us come by, you would think we didn't like each other because we really don't say a word to each other. So okay. it's, it, it, it's just, you, you know, listening more than, more than anything, um, and so, you know, as it gets light, you know, and we kind of gain a little bit of, you know, elevation or, you know, kind of start getting closer to the area, then we'll kind of start, you know, doing some location bugles, um, you know, trying to locate, trying to, uh, you know, figure out if there's, you know, elk from the next ridge or whatever. Um, but basically just listening. And then but once yeah, so we- you're not you're not bugling or anything at that point. Uh, no, we will. We have certain points that we get to, and those are our location points. Gotcha. Um, we, okay. don't, we, we don't, we don't constantly just run around and bugle. We have specific areas that we get to to locate from because we know, okay, if we bugle from this knob, it's going to get down into this area and that area. Um, you know, and then once we work up the ridge a little bit more and it jackknifes to the left, now we know once it jackknifes to the left, we can locate from there again, because then it's going to hit the backside of that roll that wouldn't get covered from where we were previously. So, and again, this is paying attention to your area when you're hiking and, and, you know, paying attention to, okay, if I located down there, would it have came up and got over to here or, you know, whatnot. And so, so then once we get to, you know, that area, if we haven't located anything, then we'll set up and, and, you know, start doing those, those blind calling routines. Um, and then if nothing, you know, an hour goes by nothing, then we're going to move on and we're moving closer to their bedding area each time is what we're doing. So, and we want to get it to that where, you know, on the edge of their bedding area about that nine o'clock time frame. So, um, you know, cause that's usually about the time, especially early in the year when they're getting to that bedding area. Do you think um, that that changes where, like where you're hunting kind of South central, you know, Idaho versus North Idaho versus Colorado versus Wyoming getting to their bedding area. Do, do, does that change at all through oh, as, you, as you go through these regions? Absolutely. And, and, and nine o'clock is not a dead set. That's just kind of a hypothetical. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of that, it, it's kind of that mid morning time frame, basically is, is, is kind of what it is. And, and, you know, you have other factors that come into that, you know, whether full moon versus no moon and, and all that kind of stuff, all that really affects, you know, elk activity, but um, but no, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do a few of these blind calling routines um, you know, and then we get the edge of the bedding area. We do another blind calling routine. Now, if nothing comes in, we know the elk are in bed because we haven't heard any sounds and we know just because of elk behavior that they're in their beds. Now it's time for us to gain a little bit of elevation so that we're kind of off to the side and above the bedding area. We're close enough, probably within a couple of hundred yards that we can hear activity down there, but we're also far enough away that we're controlling our thermals 
And this is where we break out the, the number one tool in, in, in our pack that everybody in my camp has. And that's a, uh, a winner's outfitter double XL lightweight hammock. So yeah, you're always talking about this dang hammock, man. I'll tell you what. I like that idea. All the years before that of trying to find a place to lie down, it's either rocks or pine cones, or I'm just the lucky one that always finds the anthill to lay in. And it seems really good until I really start getting comfortable. And then they're just crawling everywhere. But yeah. the hammock is, the hammock is nice because, you know, you can, you can sit on it and kind of use it as kind of a gravity rocking chair, you know, loosen up your boots, kick them off, uh, you know, time this is the time that we eat too uh you know start start kind of eating a little bit um you know because we've spent a lot of energy to get to where we wanted and burn a lot of calories so so we'll kind of eat a little bit lay down take a nap a little bit and then during that midday time then we'll get back up and we'll kind of stay where we're at but we kind of do this midday inviting cow routine is is what we do which kind of plays on the curiosity of the elk and i don't know how many times i tell these guys one of you need to have an arrow knocked you need to be ready because you never know which direction and i don't know how many times they won't listen and then all of a sudden we have an elk right there oh i mean you know a couple of years ago it was so funny was was you know laying down and I actually had the reed dangling in my lips and I would pull it in and do a few cow sounds and push the reed back out. And, and after about 20 minutes of this, all of a sudden, just this commotion on the mountainside just erupts. And I sit up real quick and I'm like, what the heck happened? And I, I, I look over and Brandon's on his knees and he's got his bow and Bryce is laughing. And I go, what the heck happened? He goes, a smoke and a pancake, which is a spike and a cow. We call a spike and a cow a smoke and a pancake. He goes, a smoke and a pancake he came walking in and Brandon was laying flat on his back. So he tried to easily knock an arrow and then wheel from his back up to his knees to draw and try to shoot them before they ran off. And I'm like, so let me guess. Nobody had an arrow knocked. Nobody was ready. And they're like, what are you talking about? You were sleeping. And I said, I was calling. They said, no, you would make a few cow sounds. You'd pop the reed out. You'd kind of lightly start snoring. And then a couple of minutes would go by, you'd suck the reed back in your mouth, make a few cow sounds, pop it out, slightly snore again. And I was like, I was multitasking. So, but, <laughs> yeah, so. They, do, they do have a funny way of doing that. It's funny too, because like you'll be sitting there having lunch and, right. and not trying to be quiet, not worrying about scent uh, all that much, right? It's, it's kind of like you're, you're shutting it off. It's, it's break time. And mm -hmm versus the time when you're on the mountain trying to be as quiet and mindful of where the thermals are going and wind and scent and all this stuff, nothing. But as soon as you sit down for lunch and you're making all yeah. this ruckus, the, the, here they come right through camp. I, I, I had that happen. Uh, <laughs> when <laughs> The funniest, man, when I, was, when I was like 17, we go on this rifle elk hunt and I had injured my ankle the night before so the everybody leaves camp and i was gonna just stay there and ice the ankle and i'm in camp and eight bulls come running through camp it's late october in a string and i mean they came running right through camp i jumped uh -huh. up ran to this tent trailer tried to find my rifle couldn't i mean clearly wasn't fast enough these things run over the ridge and they're gone nobody gets an elk that year but they came right through camp 
I, I, I've got a couple of buddies of mine that are guides and they're like, if you're out on an elk hunt and nothing's happening, just sit down on a log, get out on a sandwich and open up a mini bag of chips. And as soon as you open that mini bag of chips, the, you know, the wrestling of that, he goes, yeah. you'll either get a bull that'll bugle or, or, or one will come trotting in. So, but no, it's this midday inviting cow routine. And, and I've, I've, I've had several elk calling Academy students focus that that's all they did throughout the whole day was it was it was just move around work areas doing this inviting cow routine uh and, and in fact you know charles uh we did a few lessons and i taught him this routine he's up in uh in washington over on the coast um you know he went out november last year and did this did this routine and the very first morning uh, he was into it for about 15 minutes and he had four or five cows coming from the right and a big six by six coming from the left and you know the cows were going to come in perfect the bull not so much and so he kind of got a little greedy and tried to reposition uh to get a shot on the bull and they all caught him and busted and wheeled out and so he came back in the next day and again set up started doing it 15 minutes and all of a sudden this bull bugles comes running in and he shoots his first bull at 17 18 yards oh that's so, awesome that's awesome so here he is here he is went through some lessons learned this routine and between the between the two periods, you know, called for a whopping thirty five minutes, and and you know, got his first bull. What? But now, what do you call that routine again? It's it's an inviting cow routine. Um, is it is it in like the instructional videos here? Um, not in the instructional. You're gonna you're gonna find it on a uh, uh, Wapiti Live Q and A that I did like two or three weeks ago. Okay. You'll you'll see the you'll see the title that says inviting cow sounds. So so I go and, to the, and it's, the category Patreon Q and A twenty eight. Yep. Oh okay. Adding realism yep. to your call twenty twenty moon phase, early season calling tactics inviting cow sounds. There it is from June tenth. Yep. Yep. Sweet. So so and what it does it focuses on specific cow sounds that ask for responses and action. It's it's not just cow sounds everyday communication that uh, best way to describe it is is you and your wife are at a party, you're standing up with some some of the guy friends and she's sitting at a table with the gals and they're just having a conversation. There's no reason for you to go over there, right? Mm-hmm. Now imagine same scenario. She's at the table. You're standing up with the guys, but she turns to you and says, "Hey Jim, come here. You're gonna walk over there." That's what this inviting cow routine does. It focuses on specific sounds that ask for either a response, verbal response, or "Come here, come to me." So, so and that's that's gonna be that's gonna be a different sound than just your average meow kind of sound right it is. I mean, it's, it's it, kind of that longer drawn so, out. so i mean every day those are mews and chirps that's everyday communication that's them just saying hey everything's all right i'm right here yep i'm right here as they're kind of moving that is something every day that they do all throughout the year that's that's just normal conversation with them and and that kind of goes back to uh, you know, what we were talking about earlier with some of the mistakes people make is they they just, they do everyday communication like that. And, and then they're like, man, I, I can't believe he didn't come. 
Mm -hmm. Well, why not? Well, I did cow sounds. Well, what did you do? Okay, so you basically just did conversational sounds. You you didn't ask him to do anything. So can you can you demonstrate what that sound would be? A cow sound? The, there's uh, where... there's there's a few of them. So, um, but I'll give you one of them. So because you'll hear okay. this a lot. This is this is this is this is what's called the assembly mule. Okay, so that's got like a. Oh, you cut out there, man. Oh, you no. cut out just a little bit. Uh, mm. Do that. Do that one more time. So it's a and very so, soft. Yeah, and so that's saying, "Come over here," essentially. Can I try? Right. Yeah. Okay. Softer. Softer. There you go. Good. And is that the right volume you would do that at? So when I actually do it, I actually do it with my lips closed, just barely, barely pierced. Because here's the deal. Elk can do their vocalizations mouth open or mouth closed. So obviously mm -hmm. mouth open has good expansion, has good volume. Mouth closed, a lot more soft subtle this assembly mew is a sound that elk will do 90 95 percent of the time with their mouth closed okay all right i'm gonna I'm, I'm putting this on my schedule to watch this video i've i've never tried that i've never tried that with them so that and is that you were talking that's that's kind of a cold calling sequence is what, what is. you're referring to it, it is so let me ask you this when, when we're talking along those lines let's say you're on the mountain and uh, the the birds are mildly making noise. There's there's some other critters. You know, you got your your chipmunks that are sure. as hunters. They drive us all crazy. Have you seen that meme where it's Rambo drawn pulling out his bow, and it's like an hour into sitting in a deer stand or whatever, and that yes. damn chipmunk. Yeah, oh my real. gosh, I love yes. that one. I love that one. I have, I have actually. I, I have actually pulled my pistol out of my holster and actually pointed it at a squirrel before with really serious contemplation of pulling the trigger. <laughs> I have flung arrows at him, man. I never hit him, but I get real close. And I'll fling not I, I always keep an extra arrow with a practice tip. And uh and and I'll I'll fling him. I'll 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 shoot a sage grouse if I see one. But but mainly <laughs> those chipmunks piss me off. And so uh, you I know, have me, an arrow with their name on it. Me too. And and you know, if I pull that pistol out and pull the trigger, I'm going to do the Deadpool where it's going to be like, bad Deadpool, bang, bang, good Deadpool, good Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, have a, I have a feeling we'd, we'd get along. We'd get along on a hunt, man. Um, okay. No, oh, that's, oh, go ahead. The, the, guys, the guys that I hunt with, <laughs> so like I said, Three of them went down to Salt Lake with me and we were in the initial ascent booth and, you know, Guy Duplanner with uh, Western Contours podcast was there. And uh, I, I've done a you few. You went with the know, initial ascent guys? So I was working the initial ascent booth. Yeah, that's one of the booths that I went down there for. I was kind of bouncing back and forth between initial ascent and scree gear, bendable products, uh, 6 a.m. outdoors. But Oh, cool. Um, cool. But yeah, it was, it was funny because, you, you know, myself and my hunting partners were sitting there talking about Guy. And they started telling stories about some of the shenanigans that I've done on the mountainside. 
And all of a sudden, guy gets this look on his face and he's like, we have to sit down. You guys have to sit down with me because we have to record this podcast. And all of a sudden, I'm standing there going, I'm not really sure this is a good idea. So, and then I was like, (laughs) you know what? They're just, they're just going to paint a picture of what it's like to, you know, be on the mountainside with me. And, and because yeah, I'll get it out of them too, man. I like to have fun. I like to, you know, because I think that's part of it. If you, if you enjoy the journey and not focus on the harvest, you're going to enjoy the hunt so much more and you're going to have such a better time. I and agree. you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at how your level of success actually rises too, because you're not focusing on just punching a tag and you're not putting all that added pressure on you, which when you add, when you do all that added pressure, you start making mistakes. And, you know, when you add all that pressure in, in these, these guys that sometimes get out there and they're so overly serious about it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, they're so over, like I used to deer hunt with this guy who was actually, he was, he, I'll admit it. He was a phenomenal hunter, but he, he would always say, you know, we'd go back to deer camp and, Oh, I'm not, I'm not cracking a beer. I don't do anything until I got a deer in the dirt. I'm going to bed and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and I get that. I get that aspect. He wants to be super serious. And I, and if you want to, if you want to act like that and, and do it that way, that's totally fine. But for me, yeah. and like what you're saying, I like pulling pranks on my hunting partners at three in the morning. I like laughing around the campfire and, and telling jokes and making fun of each other. And I like it when they, they ruffle my feathers. And what happens is you start getting this mentality where things don't deflate you as easily. Let's say you, you, no. you, you're in the middle of a big call-in with a bull elk and he busts you drawing your bow and, and, and busts out of the drainage. It's not like the end of the world right. at that point. It's still, it's, it's almost like, oh, okay, good. I, I've, I've still got my tag. I still got to notch it, whatever. But we, we had a ball. We had a great time. We learned yeah. something. And, and that it doesn't bog you down and you don't get deflated. No. Your motivation stays high when you don't take it so uh-huh. dang serious. So anyway, that's my and, rant. And, and, see like, and see like us in that situation, we're high-fiving going, that was a, a successful hunt. Me too, a successful man. Me hunt, too. A, a successful hunt to us is if we call a bull into a 40 yards or less. Because yeah. we know at 40 yards or less, that's within our effective shooting range. Now, mind you, he could stop behind a bush or a tree or this or that or catch us drawing our bow because we missed our draw. But to us, it's still a successful hunt. We still had a still, great encounter. Yeah, it's something that you'll you'll close your eyes for the rest of the year and know that you gave it hell and, and it was a good time. And, you, and it's a great memory. So, yeah, I totally agree with that, buddy. But then you have those people out there that are like, all you did was educate that elk. I, I know, I know. And, and that's always oh. a silly thing in terms of, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to talk negatively about anybody that says that, but I, I just think it's elk are not that cognitive. They're they smart are. animals. They're very smart. They're very astute to their environment. Right. But they don't sit there and take tallies. And no. so I, I think that's kind of a, it's kind of a silly notion because I, I think that it, it, here it is 2020. If elk learned about uh, you know, what, what happens when they respond to a bugle and it ends up being a hunter and they're educated, so-called, they would right. not be bugling in the year 2020. Well, and, and here's the thing too, that I love. So, so we're going to circle back around to that person, at the sports show that made the comment. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, bugle, yeah. Like that. you, you bugle like that in my area and elk run the other way. So I'm immediately going to go up to him and go, so what you're saying is the area that you hunt 
anytime there's a bugle, elk run the other way. Yep. Man, because in my head right now, I just have this picture of elk just running every different direction, running from bugles, because you have bulls out there that are bugling. And so what you're telling me is that every time a bull bugles, that elk just run the other way. Then let me ask you, how do they ever, ever gather up? Because they are a herd animal. If they're running from bugles, how do they ever gather up into herds and how do they repopulate? How do they reproduce? Yeah, good point. Because so, elk are elk are very vocal animals. They like they are they are a herd social vocal yeah, animal. Exactly. You don't now and, educated <clears throat> educated. Let's let's talk about that real quick. Okay. There is a yeah. so was out on a hunt uh, a few years ago, um, five six maybe a little more than that. But anyways, was out on an evening hunt calling for a buddy of mine. Called a bull in. Um, he shoots, we hear it hit. Um, so we gave it a little bit and then kind of started on the trail, uh, but went into some really thick brush, got way too dark. And so we backed out, we came back in the next morning, started on the trail again. And all we were finding was these little pin drops of blood. Uh, thankfully we had tracks that we could follow. Uh, we ended up you know, going almost two miles and we pop up on this ridge and here's this bull over on the other face, same bull, just screaming and rutting like nobody's business mm -hmm. and it's like now now it's playing through the mind of well where did you hit him what happened did you actually hit him did you deflect off a branch you know because this is evening time and so so we backed out came back in two days later i was with another member in the camp and we member, get out of the huh? truck. It's like, what do you have so, to do to become a member of your camp? You, you guys have members. Oh, the the list is long and distinguished of, of what you have to do to get into that. <laughs> distinguished. So, um, so, all right. All right. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. Carry on. We'll, we'll so, circle back. So, so anyways, we, you know, we get out and get set up and I get him set up. And, and I, I mean, this is one of those mornings where it's Jurassic Park type morning. I mean, multiple bulls screaming, cows and calves. I mean, this is just a perfect morning in the elk woods and i'm calling and i just hear this bull he's getting louder and louder and louder and louder and then i i hear his bow go off and so i continue to call and about five minutes go by and i hear his bow go off again and i'm like what the heck and, and so i stopped calling and i kind of slip up to him and i said what happened and he goes man that bull came walking right down this trail and he stopped right there and i shot him and then he turned and he ran back out the trail and you started calling. He stopped right up on the point right there. And then he turned and walked right back down this trail, right to that same spot. And I shot him again. Holy and cow. Like, Man, that is crazy. And so we wait a little bit. We get on the blood trail, track the bull, find him, start breaking the bull down. And I peel the hide on the right side and running parallel to the ribs is the arrow from the first guy three nights ago. So here's a bull that I called in three times. They got shot three times in a three-day period. In like a 72-hour period. But damn it, elk are call shy. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you, man. I, I, I agree with that. And so um, I want to let, – let me ask you something just real quick because you, you triggered something there. Um, how long do you typically wait after an arrow is in an elk before you go tracking it? You give it an hour. You know, uh, it, it it all it, it all depends. It it, it all varies. Um, you, you know, if we're fortunate enough to see the animal go down, or if we hear him go down, um, you know, we 
might only wait 20 minutes before we go. Okay. That, that waiting is, that waiting is one of those things that is so hard for me to do. Um, because I'm, because I'm always, okay, I'm going to drop my pack where I shot from. I'm going to drop my bow where I shot from, and I'm going to go up to where the bull was and I'm going to start looking for my arrow. Okay. Because I want to recover that arrow because I want to see what it looks like. I, I, I want to get the evidence off that arrow. That's going to tell me how long I'm going to wait, you know, whether it's bright blood, which is arterial or ar oxygenated, you know, dark blood, which could re represent liver, uh, you know, stomach matter, paunch shot. So I want that information because again, understanding the animals and understanding, you know, you hit arterial, how quickly they can bleed out and how quickly they can expire. Um, so now if I can't find the arrow and I don't have that information, then yeah, we're going to, we're going to sit there 45 minutes to an hour. Okay. Okay. That was just a side, side note. I think, I think most people are pretty consistent on, on that uh, opinion wise. And, but, uh, but on the flip side, if I see that bright blood, then it's like, okay, we're just going to start easing down the blood trail to see what kind of a blood trail we have man, we got a pretty good blood trail. Let's, let, let's just go a little bit farther and just see if this blood trail stays strong like this. And okay, let's just go up. Just, hey, look, there he is right there. So. Oh, cool. <laughs> we, we've, we've, we've done that a few times. So. So you, I, I want to go back to what you said about, you, you went down to the, um, the show with uh, Initial Ascent. Did you know, I, mm -hmm. I had those guys on the show the other day or a few weeks yeah, ago. I, I saw that. I, we, I haven't had a chance about to look at it yet. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. We, we talked about you. We, we uh -oh. don't listen to that one, man. No, I'm um, kidding. It was all good. Yeah. It was all good stuff. So, so you go over there with them and you go, you're hanging in there. You, do you run that initial ascent pack? I do. I do. Um, so I, I, I'm thinking about getting one. So I, I, I ran the I4K first. Um, and then last year I was very fortunate that Joe and Dennis reached out to me and asked if I would field test the i2k um which is their their 2000 cubic inch or roughly 2200 um but they wanted me to field test it run it through the paces and then kind of give them feedback and um that 2k performed well let's see out of five bulls last year yeah that pack was in all five bulls i was a part of of every pack out um and but it's the same frame right it's just it's the bag same same frame yeah just just the bag changes so it is a modular system that you can you know kind of change but um no it was kind of cool because i was able to field test it and then i came back and and kind of gave them some feedback on some changes and it was really cool that they incorporated some of the changes that um you know i had brought to the table and in fact it was kind of funny over there in salt lake there was a couple of people in the booth that that and joe and dennis will do this sometimes too but they were referring to the i2k as the batiste pack oh really yeah i yeah. they need they need to i i think i should reach out to dennis and let him know that like they need somebody to test out one of these packs in north idaho i this this isn't like sissy southern idaho kind of country up here you know so like, you know, and just, and just they tell can them call it the man's, the man's test, the real man's yeah, test. Yes. And, 
And, and be sure when you call them, just let them know how strong your selfie game is. Because the reason they had me pack or they had our group tested down here is because they knew we would actually pack elk on it. Um, but you can just you can tell them that you'll get great selfies and product photos of it out in northern Idaho. I'm going to so. take some killer selfies with this thing, man. Just come on. <laughs> man, you got me good on that one. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Uh, you opened the door and made it easy. So, so, but no, I have been I have been running that pack, and in fact, um, pretty much everybody in my camp has switched over uh, to uh, uh, the initial ascent, and most of us are running that that I two K. And you can run it with the lid or without the lid, so you can kind of expand. I run it without the lid. Uh, it's just it's plenty of room for everything that I need on day hunts, and you can actually get a two to three day bivy out of that two K pretty easily. So what, what's in your day pack? Let's talk about that for a minute. So, so basically I have the hammock, obviously. And then I use the um, grab bags from 6 a.m., um, the G3 bags. So which are basically organizational bags that in one of the bag I have my kill kit, which is, you know, everything I need to process an animal, knives, sharpeners, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, in another one, I have my first aid kits, uh, and then in the large one, I put my lunch. Uh, then I have the hammock. I have a um, the scree puffy jacket, uh-huh. which yep yep that's that compacts really small in there. So if I weather sets in or this or that, um, and then the MSR trail shot water filter. Um, okay, so you, pretty- you use that MSR. I do. I use the trail shot. Yep. Okay. Okay. And there's two that there's two that I'll go back and forth. I'll either use that or I'll use the uh, Catadine hiker. Gotcha. Gotcha. I have that MSR too. I ha- I've just never used it. It's just still in its packaging and everything, but um, okay. So uh, gosh, you said something now. Now I'm totally drawing a blank at what you said there. The, you had the puffy jacket from Scree, which by the way, thanks for turning me on to this Scree stuff, man. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, I love it. I love this stuff is freaking awesome. And, oh, it's phenomenal here. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't feel like I'm, like, uh, you know, selling one of my children to, to afford no. to, to no. have it, and it, it performs so well. Anyway. Um, so we talked about the, the G3 grab bags from 6 a.m., uh, you know, the kill so that, kit. And that's what you've got kit. in your kill kit and all that. What do you put in your kill kit? I, I usually have... Uh, a couple of different knives. Um, I also have the outdoor edge zipper, I guess you could call it for, you know, zipping down the hide mm-hmm. uh, because that hair on a knife blade is horrible. I mean, that'll dull a blade quickly. That that zipper from outdoor edge does a really, really good job for opening up the hide and it doesn't dull knives, but usually a couple of knives, that zipper, uh, I've got a Smith's uh, handheld sharpener. I also have the the workshop sharp field sharpener mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. nitrile gloves of course all my tags some paracord and then i have these deals called tau taps uh if you look at them they look like a little breath mint but what they are is is they're actually a highly compressed cloth that you can just drop into water uh and then they just kind of expand and so you know you have this little cloth towel to Oh, gotcha. Wipe so it's like, like a, like a washcloth or something to, to wipe the meat yeah. down or something. 
yeah, wipe the meat down. If you, if you want to clean the side of the animal to remove a bunch of blood on it, to take good trophy photos, you know, mm-hmm. that are you know, presentable, that doesn't paint a distasteful picture. Um, you know, when you're done processing the animal, you know, using that to kind of, uh, you know, clean the hands a little bit. I mean, that really doesn't happen that often. In fact, I don't know how many sandwiches I've grabbed out of my pack to <laughs> eat with, you know, you know, dried blood on the hands and stuff. But that's, that's why I know I'm never going to get the Rona just because of how many sandwiches I've eaten with blood soaked hands. But, um, <laughs> but no, yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's pretty much, you know, what I have in, in that kill kit. And okay. Um, that's, that's a lot, that's a lot more advanced with those bags. I, you know what, my kill kit, I, I put it in one of those crown Royal bags, you know, you get the, that right. little, that little bag that crown Royal sells their, their whiskey yep. in or whatever. <laughs> yep. So got a few of them. Got yeah. a few of them. Yeah. So, the reason I like the bags and 6 a.m. has them. And so does uh, initial ascent. Um, they, they make different sizes in them. So that's, what's kind of nice because you can use the larger one for your lunch. Uh, the next larger one for your kill kit, um, or, or sorry, the largest one for your lunch, then the step down, kill kit step down from that first aid kit and then the smallest one you can throw your wallet keys tags license all that kind of stuff the reason i like it is it keeps an organized pack now yeah that way you don't have to pull everything out of your pack to look for something or find something everything's organized and easy to find Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that idea because I, I've I've found myself doing that a million times, man. I've got I've got to like pull everything out of my pack to find something, and right. you know I, I need some paracord. Oh well, it's somewhere in this this pile of crap I've got stuffed into my pack. So that's a great idea. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna check into that. Oh, that's that's what's kind of cool about the 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 two K pack from Initial Ascent is on the back face. Originally, when I field tested last year, they just had one large pocket. And what I had is I had them split that so that your bottom pocket, you could put your water filter in. And what they did is they actually added a drain grommet into that bottom pocket. Mm. So you can, you can throw your water filter right in there. It has that drain grommet for the water to come out. And then you have the pocket right above it that, you know, I'll put my flagging tape, my headlamp, um, you know, toilet paper, that kind of stuff that you, you tend to grab and use more readily um, but yeah, splitting those pockets in that bottom one for that water filter was just, are you, awesome. what are you, what are you packing lunch wise? Um, like I'm a big fan of peak refuel and so, and, and we talked about freaking Joe Rogan earlier, brought him up. That guy mentioned peak refuel on his podcast and they're sold yeah. out right now of everything. Uh, Oh, peak is peak is phenomenal. That's the best tasting meal I've ever had. I don't pack stuff like that on the mountain for lunch. Um, I'm a big fan of plain bagels with peanut butter, honey, and bacon for okay. a sandwich. Um, you know, and then of course, um, people that follow out calling Academy, they they know um, there's always a small little can of Pringles. <laughs> in my, in my lunch kit, um, mm-hmm. trail mix, trail mix, jerky. Uh, you know, I want those mixtures of quick energy and sustained energy. Um, but I also want calories, um, you know, dried fruit. Um, 
yeah, definitely don't go hungry on the mountainside. Um, yeah. I always and, pack and, uh, my my deer jerky from the year prior because, and and maybe I'm way off base with this, but there's like this thing that I feel with with carrying the jerky from from last year's deer. You know, it gives me this like uh, nostalgia, or or maybe maybe even good luck or something like that. You know, I, I don't know what it is. There's and actually, there's a word I'm searching for in my mind, but as <laughs> usual, I go blank when I'm talking on my podcast. So, um, but but I always I always have deer jerky, and, and it, it, man, it's a great source of energy too. Oh God, I, I just had this vision pop into my head. Um. The name of the movie is escaping me. Rooster Cogburn. Um, ah, I don't know. I don't know. What's the movie about? The name of the movie. So it's it's basically you know this gal that goes and hires Rooster Rooster Cogburn. He's he's kind of a bounty hunter and tracking down these people mm. that killed you know her father. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, that. But, that... But, uh, what's his name? Oh man. Now I'm drawing a blank on him. Uh, I, I know, but, but the scene just popped into my head where they're sitting there and, and they were being followed and that one guy, you know, rolls up with the, with the bear, bear head and, and, uh-huh. and the fur. And, and he's like, you know, saying that he's a dentist and are any of you in need of dental care? And and so when you were talking about carrying the jerky, <laughs> I just had that vision of, of of you being that guy, you know, on the mountainside, of, you know, chon chon on this, you know, deer jerky. So I don't know if I'm supposed to be like, you know, offended by that or if I'm supposed to be if it was a compliment. But you know what? I I'm I'll be that guy. I'll be that guy. It, it, it was it, I, it was it was a compliment. It was a compliment for tapping into your mountain man roots. I, I have that, man. I have I have that. I'm a big believer in in and uh, connecting as a like like those mountain men did you know and and using those resources from the mountain and and being as close to nature as you can get i i, I kind of have that uh i am also I, i'm also kind of superstitious and and so part of part of taking mm. the deer jerky is is like this superstition that that is just from my childhood or something and and it because when you know when mm-hmm. i was a kid we'd go hunting with dad and and dad always had jerky and, and, uh, that was mm-hmm. back when you wear fanny packs up on the mountain to put your tuna sandwich in and, and your beef jerky. And, and that's what we packed. Right. And, uh, and, and now it's, now it's chewing on that deer jerky, tapping into your mountain man roots before mm-hmm. you turn, return to camp to the creature or the comfort of your trailer. If I would have been a better bear hunter, dude, I would have had the bear hat coming up on, on this elk season. Uh, I don't care. Yeah, I, and yeah, I would have taken yeah, a selfie yeah. with it and I would have sent it to initial ascent and they'd have been like, okay, Huntsman needs a freaking pack, go. man. He needs a pack. Right. Right. Yeah. Make sure you're <laughs> sitting in your comfy, uh, make sure you're sitting in your comfy gravity chair in front of your camp trailer with that, uh, you know, to really set the tone. So I like it. I like it. Well, good deal, man. <laughs> any, any like closing thoughts that you have for, uh, for hunt? let's do this. I I've never really asked this question in this way. Okay. Let's say we have somebody that's never elk hunted in their life. They're coming out West or they're already here, but are, they, they got their first tag and are heading up to the mountain. Um, they, they've been learning how to, how to use elk calls and, and they have all that kind of dialed in and, and they're ready to go. They're pumped. They're motivated. They're excited. Um, give that guy 
or gal, uh, give that, give that guy or gal your best advice going into this September. Enjoy the, enjoy the journey. Enjoy. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. Um, I mean, elk hunting, if you look at the, the, the success statistics, it's, it's very low versus the number of people that actually go out and do it. Just enjoy the experiences. Enjoy what's going on around you. Take a moment to pause and take it all in and just appreciate all that and have gratitude towards it. Um, Michael, what, what do you enjoy most about elk hunting? You know, the greatest thing that I love is, you know, looking over to the east and seeing that sliver of daylight on the horizon at the top of the mountain and then just hearing the forest come alive in the morning. And just that the dawn of that new day and the forest come alive and all of a sudden birds wake up and, and squirrels are, chir- you know, barking. And man, then, then just off in a distance, you just hear this bugle crack off. And I don't know how many mornings I just stood and watched that replay and just pause for a moment to give thanks and just soak it all in and go, man, how blessed am I to experience this and almost feel guilty for those people that never experience a forest come alive like that. Man, I couldn't agree more with that. I, I think that I always, I always like picture these, these people that are like total urbanites, right? And they, they live in apartments in these big cities their entire life. They've, they've never fulfilled that primal soul uh, no. experience that, that happens as, as a hunter. And I don't think that, that people that are not hunters can ever get that kind of fulfillment in, the, in, in, in that, that soul, you know, in, into your soul. When, when you're out there and it's dawn, and it's dark. You don't know what's around you. There's something a little bit almost threatening about it. And, and it's, it, it, you're, you're in grizzly country, you're in wolf country, you're in bear country, wh- whatever the case is. There's something a little bit threatening about it. And, and uh, that, that rush that comes and then that sun starts peeking over that, that eastern horizon and, and lighten up the forest. Absolutely. And it just like sparks this thing in my soul. And I, I don't know how to explain it to people who have never left the, the city limits. And, no. and, and what I mean by that, obviously they, they, they might travel to different places and they might go uh, be a bird watcher on the beach in Mexico and, and see a, you know, whatever birds they have down there. And, and they might, they might go experience these different things that are really cool, but, but on in the elk woods, that, right. that sound, that bugle, that distant bugle on, on the next horizon over, it just sparks this passion deep inside me that I, I don't think can mm. be fulfilled in any other way. And that's why I appreciate guys like you. Uh, you t- you'd mentioned Guy over the Western Contours podcast. He, that yeah. guy's super passionate, man. I, I need to get oh, yeah. him and I need to get together and, and just have a conversation and, and talk. Uh, and, 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 you know, oh, I think, you guys, I, I, I think you guys will get along great. I, I think so too. I, we, we, we talk back and yeah. forth on, uh, on social media sometimes, but we've never like talked in person and, and I really like him and I like his podcast and, and, and all these other, these other people that I talked to that, that, that this, this natural born primal passion of hunting that we have is not just because we'd like to go out there and fling arrows and, and take life. That's, that's not what it's about. It's the right. complete package 
no. of everything that it has to offer. And it's so freaking magnificent that I, there's no words that I could put into, uh, into a podcast to express how gratifying and the amount of satisfaction it puts into me as a, as a man and as a human as uh, whatever, but you, you know what I'm getting at, right? Hmm. Most definitely. And, and I mean, on the flip side of that too, is, is, you know, getting away from the lights of town and actually getting out in the true darkness and looking up at the sky and really seeing the stars. And, and again, you're out in the wo- elk woods on a clear night like that. And, and just all these stars are radiating and, and man, all of a sudden you just hear bugles crack off in this yeah. valley. And, and, and I mean, just, the the feeling that you get of, of of just being out there, you know, encloaked by this darkness with all that overhead, and then listening to all that, it just to me it it, it just recharges the soul and recharges the batteries. And I totally agree. <sighs> I I don't know, I don't know what kind of human, uh, you know, I don't know what kind of person I would be without hunting. It, it's it's such a right it's, it's what fulfills me above the normal things. You know, uh, we, we have kids that fulfill us right uh, to, to a great depth, but it's right. totally different than the full fulfillment that comes from being a hunter, whether I'm successful or not, because we all know I'm successful much less of the time than I, uh, <laughs> uh, or did I say that right? No, I, I, I know what you're saying. I, I, so, I am unsuccessful yeah. more than I am successful. Yes. Okay. Let's yes. put it that way. But, and, and, but, uh, now, but that doesn't take away from it. No. And now imagine you, you're there on that, that dark night with the stars overhead and those elk bugling and you have your kids right there with you and their experience in that. And, 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 you know, you're, you're looking down on their faces and, and seeing how they're soaking all of that in. Uh, and it, it, to me, it just kind of takes you back to when the first time you experienced that mm, and, and just, yeah. you know, getting yeah. to relive that. And that's, that's one of the things that I really love about Elk Calling Academy is, you know, when a lot of people go through, uh, you know, the instructional videos there on the, the Patreon page or, or do some lessons and they go out and just to hear them recap what they went through and you can just hear this excitement in their voice. You know, if you're talking to them on the phone or if you're talking to them in person and, and just seeing their face light up and, and, and man, it just, it's so rewarding, but also too, it just takes me back so that I get to relive when I started. Yeah. And I, I get to hang on to those memories over and over again because you know, talking to these people just brings those memories back up. Or maybe they're telling me about a hunt and, and it just reminds me of, of, of a phenomenal hunt that, you know, I had. And, and man, just getting to relive all of that is just so cool to me. So cool. It's so cool. So I, I love that. Just, just going back to the advice you were given to the first time elk hunter, soak it up. Uh, soak mm-hmm. it up, my friend. Whether You know, I keep, I keep wanting to say, soak it up, man, but, uh, man or woman get out there and, and soak up the experience of it. Worry less about notching that tag and and worry more about understanding that, that this is, is in your blood. It's in your nature and this is what you're supposed to be doing and enjoy it. It'll, it'll fulfill you more than, more than anything else will, uh, in a way that nothing else will. 
Absolutely. So, Michael, um, yes. when are we going to go hunting together, man? <laughs> I don't know. We need to we need to figure it out. I know before we got started and hit record, kind of talked about, uh, you know, grabbing knocks and coming up north. And, and if we don't do a hunt together, at least do a little fishing together. Here we are circling back around to fishing. Um, well, yeah, but I, no, definitely, definitely need to, you know, and I have met so many incredible people you know, over the years of working in this industry that, that God, I would just love to, to share camp, even if it was just to get a bunch of people together during the summer for just a large camp gathering and, and just get everybody together. I think, it, I think it would absolutely be a blast. We should do that, man. We should organize like a big, a big camp trip, like central Idaho end of July timeframe where we all just get together, hash out some old hunting stories. Uh, I'll even bring the recording qu- equipment. We'll have a big round table around a campfire and, and just talk hunting. I think that, I would, think be that so would be a cool. ball. And uh, like I told you, I'm, I'm, I, I might be coming down to Boise in the next week or so for, uh, for a work thing. So we, we might have to get together and go throw a fly okay. rod around, man. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, just let me know when you're down here. I've got Knox during the week right now. So evening times with him. And of course, since it is that time of year, um, lessons are, they're not completely booked. I do still have some openings, uh, but definitely pretty, pretty consistent on the weeknights right now with lessons with uh, people getting excited and getting, getting geared up for season. Do you have do you have like students that are on the East Coast and stuff that are that are calling you up and, and getting lessons booked with you? Yeah, I've I've done I've done lessons with students on the East Coast, down into Cali Cal, or California, up into Canada, um, just I mean really all over the U.S. Um, so what about like how how long do these lessons go for? So each lesson is an hour. Um, and, oh, cool. and that's, what's kind of, that's, what's kind of cool about using zoom is have that ability to record it so that I can send that recording to the students. And then, you know, they have access to that recording for a little bit to, Ooh, yeah, to go powerful. back and, and, and watch everything. And, and it's, it's really good, especially when we're kind of working on sounds and we're doing sounds back and forth, cause it just gives them that element of, uh, you know, practice of, you know, duplicating and, and reproducing the sounds back and forth. But yeah, Zoom, Zoom with that recording is, is just, you know, a really, really valuable tool. And, you know, each lesson, it's, it's $30 per lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, 30 bucks for, for an hour and, um, you know, we'll cover everything. And, and I, I've had brand new callers that have never used a read all the way to experienced callers that just wanted to expand their, their knowledge and strategies. And um, I've had some students do, uh, you know, four lessons. I've got one guy that has done 28 lessons with me. So you know, I should book a lesson with you just because I, I, you know what I, I, I feel like, and I, I know I'm not alone with this, but everybody can work on this. Uh, but I'd love to get better at my chuckles and grunts. And, and you do really good with those. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's super authentic sounding. And, and I, there's something with those that I'm missing. Like something's, something's uh, you know what else? I, I, I'm also not ending my, uh, that, the, the lip ball. I, I feel like I'm not ending that okay. correctly. So maybe we should talk in and we can, we can book sure. where, where I just sit down with you for an hour and, and you can help me kind of, kind of smooth out those, those chuckles and grunts. 
chuckles are one of the hardest things to learn just because you know they most are. people just want to jump right they most people just want to jump right into the cadence they want to jump into you know the fast cadence or doing it and it, it's one of those things that you know there are key elements that are important that you need all of those elements and you need to learn all of those elements and you you need to you need to learn it the right way and the way i tell a lot of students is is you need to learn to crawl before you can walk before you can run yeah and man that's, that's what exactly what i did i i i kind of jumped into these chuckles and grunts when i was learning to call and i feel like i missed some of the basics that that have made it so um i i can i i mean i, I can fool an elk with it sure but I, I want to be better. Mm -hmm. I want to be better at it. I want to sound really authentic. And, and I just really want to, like, if there's another hunter on the mountain, they, they can't tell. They're like, man, is that an elk or is that another hunter? You know what I mean? And that, that's what I want to get to with those. Oh, and, yeah. And chuckles or grunts and is chuckles really are how you, that yeah, that's, that's how you could tell. And I, I've and been see, hunting with. See, that's what's funny. That's, this is one of the ways that I can tell that you've really gone through a lot of Paul Medell stuff, um, you know, because Paul, Paul calls him chuckles and then grunts. And, and that's what's so, that's what's awesome about all this is there's so much terminology or different phrases that all mean the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I always, because to me, grunts, because you heard me earlier when I did huffs, grunts, and whines, grunts to me are those. Rrr, rrr, and, and, and chuckles oh. and chuckles are chuckles. You, you well, either so have excited let, chuckles let or agitated ask, chuckles. Let me ask you something on that. That that's a really good point. Sure. I think I think the listeners will get something. Let me grab my bugle. Okay. So the the reason, and I don't know if I got that from Paul Medell or, or or where I got the terminology, but um, there's that there's that ape like sound, and then there's the more right agitated sound. So I'll do the ape like sound first. Okay. And and you okay. and you kind of define this for me. Did that did that pick up on the mic? Uh, it kind of cut out just a little bit. Um, but but no, that that faster pace that you're doing there, I always call those excited chuckles. Okay, so what about this one? What do you Aggravated call that? Chuckle. Aggravated, Aggravated so, chuckles. Aggravated So so all in all, they're they're all chuckles. But you, right. you've just got kind of a different level of emotion in them. It, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, and, and, and again, there's, there's no, I mean, you know, take the lip ball, for example, you, you will hear different people refer to the lip ball as the lip ball, dominance bugle, display bugle, bull calling to cow bugle. Those are all four different names, but they all refer to the same type of sound or the same type of bugle. You know, lost mew. I've heard people call it an excited mew, and so and that's one thing that I'll do in the lessons and on the and on the uh, tutorial videos is I try to use all the different terminology that they may hear because I joke about it. I have yet to have an elk run up to me and go, "Okay, Michael, this is this sound. This is actually what it's called, and this is what it sounds like." So you know, we as humans put tags on them or labels on them so that when we talk about them or teach them. We have we have a phrase that's relatable to that sound. Yeah, I think that's just human nature. Everybody kind of it wants is. to have some kind of way to describe it in in a way that makes yeah. sense. And so I think I think sometimes you know that does make a lot of sense to me. A frustrated chuckle versus 
versus a a fast chuckle, you know, and I and and I don't know. It, it, yeah, it, it, excited, just excited. Because if, if you think about that, excited. Okay, so so I, I'm going to do the excited chuckle, but I want you to think about when you were back in high school, you were a teenager, and you were in the hall, and the girl that you liked came walking by, and the feelings and jittery that you got. Okay. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, man, you're a lot better at that than I am. I've done it a time or two. So. <laughs> now, the, the aggressive chuckles. <laughs> you know, just has a lot more input, a lot more thump into it. You can you can feel the difference in the emotion between those two where the first one was more kind of an excited feel where the other one was kind of an agitated, aggressive, you've done pissed me off type feel. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, where, and correct me if I'm wrong, but where, what I found with uh, when you're in the field, like there, there's been a few times where I couldn't, I knew a bull was over there. I couldn't get him to, to, to make a peep until I Uh chuckled at him. And once uh-huh. I chuckled at him, man, he'd, he'd just lose it. And, yeah. and so is there, is there something to that? Well, because if – so especially the aggressive chuckles. So the, the, the aggressive, aggravated chuckles, you, you're basically showing a sign of dominance to that. So think about it. If you're a bull sitting over there you're, and you have five or six cows with you and this bull pops up on the ridge 300 yards away and bugles, do you really want to respond to him and let him know you're down there and maybe he trots over and he might be a bigger bull than you that then's all of a sudden going to take your ladies away? Yeah. No, yeah. you're probably not going to answer. But now all of a sudden that guy starts doing a lip ball or a display bugle or this aggressive the aggravated chuckle where he's showing dominance. And now all of a sudden my ladies pick their heads up and go, Oh, cause remember the cow chooses the bull based on who they think is going to be viable for good breeding and offspring and protection and this and that. So now all of a sudden, here's this guy all of a sudden sounding, you know, pretty attractive up there on the hillside. Yeah. You're going to pipe off. You're going to respond and, and just say, dude, keep your distance. So, Man. so yeah, absolutely. When locating, if, if, if you've gotten to an area that locate and you throw out some location bugles and no responses, yeah, throw a lip ball or throw some good aggravated chuckles, tap into that aggressive nature in the bull because their testosterone levels rising during September, you already have an increased testosterone level play on it. Gosh, man, there is so much stuff that, that we could dive into and so much oh. This, this, this whole, you know, world of elk hunting there, there's just so much content. I really wanted to ask you uh, more gear questions and, and other strategy things that, and, and reasons why elk do this and elk do that. And, uh, and this is how it always goes. We, we get on topics and, and it just, it kind of goes in, in, in the direction that the podcast episode wants it to go in. You know what I mean? And, and here we are, yeah. we're, we're over two hours here. And I feel like we're, we just have, have barely scratched the surface. So I, I feel like you just oh, need to be, mine. you just need to be like this, 
ongoing rotating guest on the Western Huntsman podcast. That's what I think. You know, I would I would be honored to, you know, sacrifice another evening to sit down and record with you whenever you want. I, so it's, I it's always, always, I always have time. a good time coming on. It's a yeah, good time, absolutely. Man. And you just you're just like this wealth of information. And, and I never know what I'm going to tap into when I ask you a question. I never know, like, what door is that going to open? And, and then we have this big, long conversation, and, and here we are, you know, two and a half hours later or whatever, which is fine. This is School of September. I don't have a time limit on the School of September series, so whatever. Sure. But um, yeah. that, that's just a, a sign that it was, it was a good conversation, and I, I just appreciate you coming on, man. This, this has been, this has been uh, wonderful. I, you know, I am so honored that you included me in this lineup for School of September. I mean, you know, the lineup of guests that you have had are just such a wealth of knowledge and not only just a wealth of knowledge, but just some truly great people that are passionate and love sharing and helping others and seeing others succeed. And yeah, I, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm truly, truly honored that, uh, you know, you, you asked me to be a part of this. Thank you. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm honored you came on. I don't know. I don't know why you think I wouldn't because I, I just, this, you guys are my peeps, man. We've had, we've had <laughs> you, we've had Chris Rowe, we've had Corey, we've had Dirk, we've had the, uh, elk nut, Paul Medell, who, who gets more excited than the, the elk nut? Does that guy get oh, excited? He is, uh, does he get passionate uh, you know, or what? Oh my God. You want to talk about a guy that's passionate about elk hunting and, and, and it's, it's an infectious type. Yeah. Passion. Oh, it is. It is. Like I, I, I uh, swear to God, my blood pressure was higher being on a podcast with him because oh God, and it was, it was a good you, high blood pressure. Yeah. You can't help but get excited when you talk to that guy. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I just, uh, I, I love it. I, I love all you guys. I, I, I think, uh, Everybody benefits so much by by hearing everybody's pers- perspective, uh, and and everybody has these these resources that offer unique uh, perspectives as to how people can improve as elk hunters, and and when when everybody w- wa- wants to be out there spending all this money on 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 gear that is not going to put an elk in front of you, and I think it was Chris Rowe that explained this. Th- yeah. Those are things. This is the kind of stuff that will help you get elk in front of you. And, and this is what Absolutely. you need to invest in. And, and this, this is great stuff. And my podcast is free, but you're also uh, getting access to some of these, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this cop podcast that maybe they didn't know about the Elk Calling Academy and the private right. lessons and all this stuff. So if, if for some reason you start getting booked up, please reserve an hour wow. for me. I just want one lesson on, on chuckles and grunts. All right. Absolutely. And, and you know, the one thing that I love is this whole entire lineup that you have is kind of the respect that we have, you know, for each other and um, mm-hmm. you know, the friendships. And, and that's one thing that I tell a lot of students is, you know, go listen to Corey, go listen to Chris, go listen to Dirk, Jason, uh, you know, Paul, go listen to all those guys. Because even though all of us may teach kind of the same core stuff, there's different tweaks and there's different things here and there. And by going and listening to everybody, you're just going to get more knowledge, which then you're going to be able to morph all that into kind of your own technique, your own style and kind of find your own groove and your own success. But on that core stuff, you know, even though a lot of the core stuff we all teach, we all teach it a little bit differently. So, you know, yeah. the way Corey presents it, you know, somebody may understand it a little better the way Corey presents it. 
or I, I mean, Chris, the guy, the knowledge that he has is being a biologist. You want to learn elk behavior. Chris oh my God. Go did you listen to where I didn't know before I had Chris on that his wife is also a, a wildlife biologist. And so I kind of touched yeah. on it and, and I just, I, I could see like, do you ever wonder, do those guys argue? Do they ever argue? Like, like Chris is sitting there and he's like, now look, look woman, that was a jackrabbit dropping because of the teardrop shape of it. And, and she comes <laughs> back and she's like, no, 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 no. It's like a light brown color shade to it, bitch. Don't talk to me about what kind of rabbit. That was a cottontail. And, and like, yeah. do they argue about stuff like that? <laughs> You know, I don't know. I, I think that's a question you might have to, uh, you know, throw his direction next time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, on, I'm gonna so. try it, man. Uh, it was an interesting I, dynamic. I, I would love, like I said, I would, I would love the opportunity. You know, I, I, I've talked to all the other guys, and I've had a chance to build friendships with them. And, and Chris is one of the, one of those guys that I've just never had the opportunity to uh, connect with. We've, we've just never, we've just never found ourselves at, at, at a show at the same time together. So. Yeah, I'm yeah. really, really looking forward to the day that, you know, I get to get to meet him and, and just talk with him. And um, we, we, should I, get, been, we should get him up here to Idaho and, and do an elk hunt with him. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I've been pretty blessed to, you know, spend time, you know, with some of the true legends, you know, in the elk hunting. Uh, you know, I spent 10 years as, as Rocky Jacobson's right hand man at Rocky yeah. Mountain Hunting Calls back then. It was bugling bull game calls. Uh, you know, I've done quite a bit with Native by Carlton and, and have, you know, been blessed to do some seminars with Wayne Carlton. And I, I remember when I first got into the industry, um, I it went down to Salem for an event and I was, you know, with Rocky and walk in and set up his booth. And all of a sudden I look to the left and here's Al Morris and Dan Whitmus and to the right is Jim and Ann Horn. And oh, there's, wow, there's, a, there's, there's Ralph Moline and Dieter Kaboff and, you know, Wayne Carlton. And, and you know, here's all these elk hunting legends, uh, yeah. Larry D. Jones. And, and, and I'm just looking around and going, Oh my God. And then we all went to dinner that night. And I don't think I said more than two words that whole entire night sitting there at dinner with this group. I, I mean, you know, you're brand new in the industry and this is the first group, first event that you ever do. And you're with this group. Do you really think you're going to say anything at all with this? No, group? no, man. I would be, I would be like out of my element. I'd be like, okay, listen, you're the expert. It's like, it's like when I'm talking to you, man, that's how, that's how a lot of this, you know, it's, it, it's, it's super similar and, and you're laughing, but you have to understand like my elk hunting career in comparison to yours is, is brand new. Right. I, I mean, I've always been a big time mule deer hunter and, 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 uh, I, I've, I've got a lot of experience Western hunt hunting, but in terms of elk hunting and, and actually being, successful it, it, like i'm i'm like one little salt in a salt shaker uh, uh, amongst gotcha. all this all these other all, all these other grand or grains of salt whatever right and yeah and you guys you guys it's just it's it's always mind-boggling to 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 pick your guys' brains and 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 talk to talk to you guys that are that truly are the legends uh, of hunting and, and I uh, love getting you on my show and th this thing could go uh, on for four hours if we're being honest. So uh, we probably better wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely come back and do a repeat. We got, we got many more rabbit holes that we can tumble down. 
Oh, for sure. For sure. They're, they're always out there calling my name, brother. All right, man. Well, thanks a bunch. And, uh, let's, let's, uh, keep in touch over, uh, through September. I want to know how things are going for you and, and, uh, let's get you back on the show after, after season and, and we'll, we'll take it from there. Oh, I'd be honored. That would be awesome. Again, thank you for having me. Had a blast and uh, really hoping that, uh, you know, people can pull some nuggets from this and uh, just go out and enjoy this fall. It's, it's coming quick. 20, 26 days. Yeah, I know. Right. Well, I, it's a little longer for me because um, I, I think uh, like for, for, for my, my unit, I think it opens a six. Yeah. So, and you guys open what the 30th? Yes. August 30th. So yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're cracking. We're, we're knocking on the door, brother. Yep. Oh, no, good, it's, good deal. It's time to start heading to camp and get things ready. Sounds good, man. Well, thanks again. As always, it's uh, it, it was a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you. All right. We'll talk later. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.